0: Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's
1: why you rack. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars.
2: Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader.
3: Just you wait. Auto Trader.
2: Audible proudly celebrates 50 years of hip hop. Respect the movement, respect the moment, celebrate storytellers. Hear new hip hop titles on Audible free all summer long, including words and music volumes from Snoop Dogg, DJ's dramas, Gangsta Grills featuring the mixtape legend in conversation with hip hop greats including 2 Chainz, Lil Wayne, Wiz Khalifa, GZTI and Pharrell. And binge worthy Audible original docuseries like The Greatest Day, Can You Dig It and The Motherload. Hear unforgettable hip hop originals like these and other essential stories on Audible. Listen for free. Go to audible.com slash forever. Ladies, gentlemen, welcome to the colorful world of Skittles. Skittles brings you a jolt of five fruity flavors in every bite, giving you the chance to taste the rainbow like never before. Break free from the ordinary day-to-day with the help of Skittles' Chewy Candy. Skittles is a must in my candy jar, movie snack, even my secret. So an afternoon pick me up and I don't even care who knows it. Add a splash of joy to your day with Skittles. There's nothing better than fruity fun
0: that tickles your taste buds. Taste the rainbow. Praise
4: the
2: Lord, niggas. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. One welcome, all. Um, thank you for joining us again. Uh, for another episode of Getting Grown, gathering around the kitchen table to discuss the ghettos of adulthood, the worst hood we've ever endeavored to live in. Um, y'all know that Jade and I are. Oh, uh, taking a brief respite to try to get some rest and res- restoration time in over these next couple of weeks, but we're not leaving you hanging. Just like last week, this week we're going to do a deep dive into some of my favorite kitchen table uh, talks. So, what I have done is, you know that I love uh, one of the one of the best things about my life is um, that I get to spend time. Uh, and share space and company and connection in uh, relationship with some of the most brilliant uh, black and brown women uh, in all the earth, as far as I'm concerned. I'm grateful to be, um, to have such a rich, community of sister scholars uh, surrounding me and informing my work and practice and so what I've done is I've sort of compiled some of my favorite episodes featuring some of the brilliant minds of some of my sister scholar good good girlfriends all right so let's take a trip um, you know back in time to some of our early conversations with my faves Um, so yeah I can't wait Uh, chime in in the comments and let me know um, what your thoughts are, uh, how relevant these conversations still are. I I had a good time re-listening to some of them and compiling this gumbo episode for you. So yeah, check it, check it out. And I'll talk to you guys really soon.
5: Oh my gosh. Kia is geeking. Beyonce is in the studio. Oh, whoa. <laughs> the Beyonce of higher education.
2: <laughs> and I'm just trying to be a young Cardi B. That's it. Yeah. So, I'm very excited because the one and only Dr. Lori Patton Davis is joining us today around the kitchen table. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, Thank we're going to have so much in. fun. Uh, Dr. Davis is a professor of higher education at uh, Indiana Indiana University, University. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is the current president of the Association of the Study of Higher Education. Mm-hmm. And we are geeked to have her hype at the <laughs> kitchen table today. Boots, we're, we're gonna have some conversation just about um, Lori and who she is and her work, the awesome work that she's doing, centering on uh, the perspectives of African American and African Americans in post-secondary contexts, um, and just you know all kinds of.
4: Good stuff. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So we'll start. Um, Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh my gosh, we're so happy to have you. (laughs) I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself because I probably couldn't do it any justice anyway. So just tell us about who you are, of course, Dr. Patton Davis as Dr. Patton Davis, but who is Lori?
6: Oh, wow. Let's see. Lori is a black woman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, born and raised in East St. Louis, Illinois. Hey. And I am a mom of two bomb-ass kids, hey. Parker hey. and Preston, <laughs> yes. uh, wife of my husband, Tobias. Mm-hmm. Um, Come on, biblical I man. am a scholar yes. of higher education research um I study the experiences of black women and girls throughout the educational pipeline mm-hmm. uh I think a lot of my professional reputation has come from studying issues of race and racism in higher ed um yeah so scholar researcher um public speaker and now president of ash which is uh, since last year uh, is now Ashe. Yes. Because it's so extra black oh, these yes. days. Ashe. Um. Change has come. That's
5: right. Change has come. Because we don't want to be known as Ash. We right. don't
6: want to <laughs> be Ash. We <don't> all <laughs> as
5: <laughs> But uh, this understand? is not
2: Ashy. This is Ashe. Ashe. Yes. <laughs> Y'all better sit down down. <laughs> right. And have, you know, get comfortable in that. But, I'm, yeah, that's awesome. You're the president of ASH. Let's talk a little bit about that right okay. away. Okay, okay. Um, I was just curious in terms of, like, what does that mean? Tell us about what the job is and okay. how you got it. Was it something that you looked to do? Was it something it, that you wanted? Or is it something that just happened?
6: It kind of just came. So um, ASH has been a really interesting uh, intellectual space for me. Um, most folks uh, who are, you know, going through, um, higher ed doctoral programs are encouraged by their mentors to go to ASH or Mm -hmm. whatever for, for professional development. But I was working full time, uh, doing my PhD. So I wasn't into ASH. Right. I didn't go until I got a faculty job. And, um, I mean, I went, I enjoyed it. And while I was at ASH, just my network. Started building and I found a space that really uh, supported my research and work that I was doing. And so I would say maybe around 2010, I got the Ash Early Career Award, which is, you know, a, a, a big deal or whatever. And I was the first black woman mm-hmm. to, to get that mm-hmm. uh, award. And now with this presidency, I'm the first black woman mm-hmm. president of Ash. And so <laughs> um, Beyonce's I, in the building. <laughs> I, told I only have a year. But I'm trying to turn Ash out. Absolutely. Um, and so basically, um, the president, you know, we do governance-related things, but the chunk of my work is around the conference. And this year, the conference theme is Envisioning the Woke Academy. Woke. And uh, I selected that theme, not with trepidation, but with a little hesitation because I'm like, okay, we got all these older people. Mm-hmm. They ain't going to know what Wokey is, but... They're retiring, they're moving on, uh, and one of my biggest critiques of higher ed, uh, in, in my research is around the fact that higher education ain't woke. You know, mm-hmm. when we think about the inequities, uh, in society, higher education has a major role in a lot of what we see. And so I, my goal was to really come up with a theme that would encourage our members to think about the critical nature of our research. Are we asking the right questions? Are we centering people? Are we using people and talking about their lives and then dismissing them? You know, right. like, just really be critically conscious about uh, the research that we promote. Right. And so, you know, how do we get in touch with history. Like a lot of institutions are sort of trying to reckon with their um, past ties to slavery. Mm -hmm. And that's a really, you know, big step, but Mm -hmm. there's a Mm -hmm. whole bunch of history that needs to be um, unpacked. Um, And so that's really what the theme is, and I'm trying to create a space that's more community engaged. I think higher ed is really an insular Absolutely. space, and so how do we do work that feeds the community that serves the community, that centers uh voices that are typically invisible when we think about higher ed research
5: That's amazing what did you what was your major in undergrad?
6: Oh, um, I had a major in uh, speech communication with a minor in sociology. Okay,
5: sociology as well. I love sociology. (laughs) 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 But what? How did you get into higher education?
6: Well, with our field, usually, you know, if you're really involved as an undergraduate, Mm -hmm. I was in the sorority, Mm -hmm. homecoming, queen, doing all this stuff, Mm -hmm. and just really involved on student government. And I didn't know that higher ed was a field that you actually could could work in, right? Mm -hmm. And so I ended up doing my master's degree in student affairs and then uh, my Ph.D. in higher ed and... I didn't plan to be a faculty member, but I had a black woman who said, you need to be a faculty member. We need to see more of you in the classroom. That sounds familiar. Uh, Mary (laughs) Hart Hamilton, shout out. Um, Yes. uh, So she was the one who was always there encouraging me. I remember I met her when I was doing my master's program, and I'm in this room full of white people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they do this thing where, Stress. you know, right? <laughs> all, all, all the students who are visiting, they get to stand up and talk about where they're from. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know where East St. Louis is. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I stand up and I'm like, God, I don't want to do this. Nobody's going to cheer for me. <laughs> you know, everybody else from Chicago and all these places. And Mary was a lone person, gave me a standing ovation because she's from Alton, Illinois, which is right next right. door. And so Good. she was one of the first people within the higher ed space to sort of validate me and you know, validate me being there and in and, and, and in that space. I, you know, got the degrees and kind of got nurtured into this faculty pathway, and it's been good so far.
5: And I'm sure, as a black woman, that has led you to these other passions.
6: Yes, <laughs> yes,
4: <laughs> experiences and so forth. Mm-hmm.
2: I love it. I'm I'm grinning because I feel like. Jay was saying it's familiar because, you know, we've been friends for a while and Mm -hmm. she's watched me kind of figure out the pathways Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well. And it's been awesome to have models like you, my chair, Sharon Mm Fries-Britt and Kimberly Griffin and, you know, all of the countless other women Mm -hmm. um, in our field who are doing this amazing work. Who we get to come and engage with at these kind of conferences, these spaces, but when we get to our campuses, we find ourselves by ourselves yeah, a whole say, lot. Yeah. Even in that, even in that though, um, I think that we are kind of growing in number as a population of black women, specifically in this field and in many fields. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk more about you as the first black woman to Ash mm-hmm. and it being 2018. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, do you feel like why is it just now? <laughs> like mm-hmm. having having it. It's, it's taken us a while to get to have a, a black woman in this seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you think that's about? <sighs> <laughs> Frick yes. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure there are
5: lots um, of reasons, but <laughs> twenty eighteen don't mean shit. If we're right. just gonna be real.
6: That don't mean nothing. Uh, clearly not. I'll <laughs> give I will give Ash credit in that I'm not the first woman of color. So there right. have been uh maybe two or three Latino mm-hmm. presidents, um, and two black man presidents. Yes. But I mean, in every um category we think about black women are often, you know. Thought about last, that mm-hmm. afterthought, mm-hmm. and so um, it's not surprising to me that it's taken to twenty eighteen. Um, and honestly, I don't know who the next. Yeah, I, I hope I'm not the last. Yeah, um, but I. Th- my feeling is that um, whether it's higher ed or any field, you know, black women, you know, I look at black women as possibility models. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm doing in this role. I don't, aside from talking about racism and heterosis patriarchy, mm-hmm. I don't know why else, you know, black right. women, you know, would right. be last. Uh, we should be first. We are first. Absolutely. People just don't know. Um, They know. That's why they keep trying to copy us. (laughs) They just don't want to admit it. I mean, (laughs) love who we are, but don't love us, right? Exactly. So, you know, it's taken a long time, and I'm just going to try to do the best I can in these next several months to... What is it? Uh, what's the word? I'm looking for? Slay, slay, yes, slay. slay. All like day. Beyonce's language. Slay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you are her. She, she. <laughs> on and She's.
2: One and the same. So since we're talking about black women, mm-hmm. you know, we've discussed the different tropes that are oftentimes, you know, placed mm-hmm. on us, like mm-hmm. strong black women trope, the angry black women trope. Mm. We've talked Jezebel. a lot about, yeah, mm. we talked a lot about that, um, and and how you know we have to kind of carry these things throughout our our daily lives. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, I'm going to take a personal privilege to ask for my own advice. It's like, even within the space of, of our field, um, I felt pressure from, you know, white people, but also from other black women mm-hmm. and other people of color, um, you know, that feel, that that that'd like to tell me how I have to exist in mm-hmm, this space, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in order to have some level of success, mm-hmm. you know, Kat and I work in the practice and policy space versus, you know, being traditional Mm -hmm. faculty, and that's a thing, you know. And I like to be myself. I'm from New York. I I wear long nails. I'm bracelets, and I got blonde hair right now, and I do what I want to do. But Mm -hmm. it has gotten back to me that some people have felt away Mm -hmm. or felt like, or even me having this podcast, I wonder if that compromises the integrity of my scholarship or how people perceive me. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you could speak to, Some of those things, because a lot of us are in these in these spaces and feeling and dealing with this pressure Mm -hmm. um, and trying to figure out how how do we maintain ourselves Mm -hmm. and, you know, take
6: care of ourselves, but still, you know, reach the goals that we've set professionally. Right. Um, So I've been lucky enough. So I had a black woman mentor Mm -hmm. in uh, the higher ed space and then. I've modeled a lot of that with black women, you know, that I mentor. And my advice has always, so I love to tell people wear a dress, but that's because I like dresses, <laughs> not, not because it, it needs to be to impress right. I'm Like when we were coming in today, I was looking at y'all's shoes, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, those are so cute. <laughs> and so for me, I mean, and maybe it's I don't, I didn't always feel this way, but I feel this way now. Be who you are. Like, wear the nails, the, the bomb make, I like that. I like that highlight. (laughs) Um, the hair, be comfortable in who you are because, you know, you only have to answer to you. Mm. There, and anybody's discomfort really is about themselves. Mm -hmm. It's, It's really not about you. Um, I just say, do you? I do, like, when we were at lunch yesterday and I was talking to Shayla about that picture of the collar. Yes. Like, if you gonna do you, you do gotta all be the tight. Way. Right. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> look good the whole, you know, head to toe. You gotta look good. But if it means, you know, your feet hurt and you don't want to wear. Five inch heels mm-hmm. don't do it. Right. You know, um, I gave that up a long time ago. But <laughs> mm. I'm walking around here with my colleagues. You know, they outpacing me walking fast in them damn flats. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to be trying to keep up in these high heel shoes that, you know. They ain't going to work. Yeah, these high, these high heel shoes aren't writing the articles. They're not writing That's the books. It. And so, you know, I'm just, look, I'm I wear jeans, just look good. Whatever question you for you, because you mm-hmm. said
5: you mentioned something interesting right there. You said you didn't always feel that mm-hmm. way. Tell me about that a little bit. Tell us about that. Oh,
6: um, you know, I think some of the socialization in graduate school and just throughout uh, college was a more more about wearing a suit mm-hmm. and wearing heels and always wearing pantyhose mm-hmm. and all of those things. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable in that. You know how you you're not comfortable with something, but you haven't reconciled mm-hmm. what's wrong with it. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I don't, I just kind of grew into this space where I just didn't, I didn't care. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't enough to lose me in the process. Right. Like I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to be cute, you know, right. and I feel better presenting mm-hmm. and talking with people when I feel comfortable. Right. And so I had to start making the process about me right. and not making other people feel comfortable, which, right. I, which is, I, I think many women, women of color, you know, are taught to reduce ourselves yes. so that other people can feel good yes. around us. And yes. Absolutely. I just, yeah. Especially women of color. Right. Yeah.
5: Especially, I used to have this one lady I worked in a law firm and she used to come and tell me if something was low cut. I don't wear no low First of all, I don't even have good cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know I wasn't wearing low uh-huh. cut tops but if she saw a hint of anything it was always something and I feel like A lot of times, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit that we kind of put that pressure on Mm -hmm. on ourselves Mm -hmm. and each other Mm -hmm. as people of color. And half the time, white people don't be paying attention to that kind of stuff because they'll go out looking all kinds of ways. Any
4: kind of listen, way. Listen, they show up listen, any kind I have of way. I've been
6: in so many departments <laughs> where Sir, what's that on your white men clothes? got t-shirts, <laughs> exactly, with, <laughs> wearing just listen, wearing any kind of old thing. And I'm like, dang. Now mm-hmm. if I did that, I'd be exactly. called raggedy exactly. and all of that. Only. But at this point, I'm like, I can do that, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna do it the way I want to do it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just now I can make sense of it and talk about it. And before it was like, dang, you know, yeah. that's something right here how do I make sense of this and and now I can you know actually articulate it you Absolutely. really
2: nailed it when you said uh you know the things that we do or don't do to make other people comfortable mm-hmm. um I think for me one of the things that clicked for me is when I realized that I have to be comfortable with the space that I take up first yes. right mm-hmm. and and you know it's just is what it is and I don't have to apologize for it mm-hmm. um and I don't have to explain it, mm. and people's opinions don't necessarily
6: have to change it. People mm. be like,
2: oh. "Your nails are long, like that is correct." Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah, you don't have no nails. <laughs>
6: right, <So you're> right, right. <laughs> and the thing, you know the the part about our own people. You know this whole idea of respectability politics mm-hmm. and who you need to be. Yeah. Like I love Cardi B, and I love Tiffany Haddish. I yes. love that they're loud. Yes. I love that mm-hmm. they just do them. You know, mm-hmm. they do themselves, and it makes. Other people, uh sometimes black people feel uncomfortable right. because, <laughs> you know, again, a lot of people feel like we need to cater to this white dominant way of being. And I love that they don't.
5: But the thing about it is it's not even a white dominant because it's. Like we said, white people just do what they want, so it's like, why can't we? And That's I think the privilege because they operate know, yeah. in but the But they got the credibility exactly. and
6: be they get the the benefit of the doubt anyway. Yeah, they, do. they do. And you know, black people often feel like we got to be a certain way to just get the benefit to of that. Yeah, the proving. Thing. No, yeah,
5: absolutely. I went to Chelsea Market one day. Dressed how I dress. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a dress down day. Mm-hmm. And I know I got followed around multiple. Somebody came and offered me their chips. <laughs> like, <What? laughs> they were like, I have these extra chips. I'm not going to eat them, but I just don't want to throw them away. Would you? I was like, come on, fam. I just bought myself some tacos. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not homeless. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But contrary, we get called you know, call homeless and homely yeah, and raggedy, right. mm-hmm. like you said, and all mm-hmm. kinds of shit. But they can do what they want. We need to
2: start doing what we want. Yes. Me too. And do that's you. why I'm so excited about envisioning the Woke Academy because yes. I feel like it's our chance to I'm do what we want. I'm excited about it, too. Oof. I feel like it's our chance to do what we want. And I really love the engagement piece. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we often we sit from the ivory tower and we talk about the problems of the world amongst ourselves, but we don't. You we know, reach, out to, reach out to the people who we could actually help.
6: Interview them, get all yeah. the knowledge, and yeah. then leave them, so. and allow
2: them to tell their stories. Right, because their stories are often centered in ways that are not fair to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited. Can you tell the people about we're envisioning the woke academy is going to be uh, happening at the Ash Conference in November in Tampa, Florida? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so can we talk a bit about what that's going to be like? Like. Mm-hmm.
6: Oh, some of the things I have planned or about things- the thing. Oh well, either
2: or the theme. Ooh.
6: We can talk about what's on the-
2: what's on deck. Everything. All the things we well, want to know. Well,
6: I can't mention keynote speakers because I don't have any yet. <laughs> we're working H- on hit that. Kimberly Crenshaw <laughs> Yes, if you indeed. Get this. Um I'm trying to uh work on some speakers uh and really get people who are beyond higher ed. So mm-hmm. I think again, when we talk about higher ed research, it is all higher ed, like, everybody cites the same people. Right. Um, and. I come from a space where c- c- citing someone is like real estate, mm-hmm. you know. And so the same people get cited over and over again and their work grows. People of color, not so much. right?
0: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, and a lot of the stuff that I use is from other fields and just sociology, mm-hmm. um, black studies. And so there are people in these fields who do higher ed work, but they don't see ASH as a space. Right. And so I'm trying to broaden what we mean when we talk about higher ed research and who can do uh, higher ed research. Um, but there are a couple of uh, things I'm trying to do. I don't know that they will happen, mm-hmm. um, but I am trying to partner with uh, the African-American Policy Forum to do a town hall looking at uh, incarcerated and formerly incarcerated uh, women and girls of color yes. uh, in their college pathways. Mm. I don't know if that will happen. Yeah, I have a meeting today. I'm going to pray. And we're going um, to pray with you. we We're going to pray with <laughs> Yeah. Uh, also, um, given that we're uh, in Florida and there are so many HBCUs, I'm trying to do something with uh, local high schools, mm-hmm. uh, a film viewing of Tell Them We Are Rising. Yes. Um, And they have some of our members uh, engage in roundtable discussions mm-hmm. with students and their families about, you know, these different aspects of college, whether it's um, the admissions process mm-hmm. or financial aid. Um, I uh, am trying to do something related to uh, refugee and undocumented mm-hmm. uh, students in higher ed. Uh, again, that's that's an area I don't feel like we can be in Tampa and not do that. Yeah, totally. Uh, so figuring out. You know, how how to make that unfold um, uh, is in the works. What else am I doing? I mean, we talked about so many things. Look, I tried to do a presidential podcast, but <laughs> Kat told me no. <laughs> she was like, no, we're going to get you on other people's podcasts. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the other big thing about the conference is that um, we're commemorating 1968. Mm-hmm. So um, I am hoping to hear back from uh, these folks about a grant. Uh, I want to do an exhibit that looks at higher education in 1968 and student protests and activism. Yes. Um, and it's supposed to be reflective so we can think, OK, you know, it's 2018, mm-hmm. 50 years later, and we're still seeing, you know, some of the same things. And how might uh, our contributions as researchers and scholars help to shift right. um, higher education?
5: Um, Girl, you're busy.
6: Yeah, <laughs> yes. we love it. We I love, love it. it. Uh, um,
5: have you seen the HBO? So it just came out. It's an HBO and Vice documentary called "Raised in the System." You were Omar you with Michael K. Williams.
6: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were oh, with, Omar. Omar, uh, you've okay. <laughs> I love the Wire. Oh, we we I could watch this, it over and over again. We went to
5: the screening for it the other day, and he was there, and he spoke. And uh, I encourage you, especially I. I'm praying for for your meeting today because I think that is beautiful. I think you would really really love that documentary. It's coming out every Friday.
6: Oh wow. And okay. um
5: and it's talking about the youth to prison pipeline and wow. how uh that starts so young and it starts from people mm-hmm. with their parents and how they're trapping a lot of these young black and latinos um in the system so early yes. that they don't even have an opportunity to figure out how to how to work their way out. So
6: Okay. Yeah, check I, that I, out. I just read uh, Monique Morris's uh push out. Yep. Mm-hmm. And oof, Yeah. That one was a hard one. Yeah. That mm-hmm. one was a hard one. Um, and I think with this conversation around incarceration and the system, it's it's so important, but it's also unintentionally male dominated. Yes. Right. And we forget about our girls. Yes. So I'm really, really committed to sort of illuminating yes. um that
2: piece. Yeah. You've done a lot of work on black women.
6: I love black women. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Me, too.
2: <laughs> Me too. We want to hear just. let us let the people know more about their re- your research on black women. I know the book is
6: coming well it's out Um, out. uh, so the most recent book is critical perspectives on black women in uh, higher ed and again there's been this burgeoning body of research on black men and boys Yes, uh the my brother's keeper initiative Mm -hmm. which was wonderful absolutely you know not without critique but it was wonderful Mm -hmm. um and it shed light on so many issues and all while that conversation was going on i'm like well what about about black girls you know what about black girls um, and so since I'm in higher ed, I um, have seen all of these programs focusing on, you know, uh, getting black men to graduate.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: And again, the the way the I don't know if you all remember this headline that black women are the most educated yes. women. That lie. And it, it's a lie. That <laughs> lie. It Bad is lie. a lie. Right. Um, and some Black women sort of took it up as, you know, mm-hmm. yay, mm-hmm. but this one right here? Yeah. I'm like, well, no, not so much. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the book, the Critical Perspectives book, was really a chance for me to bring together some Black women scholars mm-hmm. to kind of talk about some of these issues in higher ed. where do Black women find support? Um, what what do they do upon graduation? What, what does it mean to not just be Black but to be Afro-Caribbean? Or, right. You know, like, just trying to look at these moments multifaceted ways of understanding um, black women's experiences in college. Absolutely, That mm-hmm. book is out. The book I'm working on right now with Venus Evans Winters and um, uh, Charlotte Jacobs nice. is on black women and girls across the educational pipeline. And we got some heavy hitters writing, yes. but it will deal with, you know, uh, disabilities, the justice system, yes. um, the way for-profit institutions prey on um, black women uh black women in community colleges. And so it's it's intended to look across the educational pipeline at black women yeah. uh and girls.
2: I love Dr. Evans. I met I met her at a at She the, did. Oh she's everything she did. <laughs> I had a I met her at the CREA conference, a critically responsive evaluation assessment conference mm-hmm. in Chicago in October. And we were in a session together and we just kind of connected because even in the course of the conversation uh, about like what is culturally relevant evaluation? Mm-hmm. The narrative of the black male was kind of like the center, and we mm. and the, she and I were just kind of like, well, um, excuse me, right? <laughs> we do we do also need to address you know certain things, these things as they relate to the experience of black women and the multi dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, experiences of black women. Like, we're all not one, one right. size fit all. So, And that shows
6: just how how, how forgettable exactly. black women and girls can be in conversations. And Absolutely. it's not even intended, but right. I mean, you
2: just forget. While we're sitting in the room. Mm-hmm. Like, while we're mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. So, it totally happens. I'm excited.
5: Let's shift it, because we talked about your work. I mean girl i thought i was busy you mm-hmm. are on a whole different planet um <laughs> like seriously you on pluto it ain't even a planet anymore.
6: right <laughs>
5: <laughs> what how do you balance all of that like you, yeah. you mentioned parker and and, give, and parker and preston Preston, preston. Mm-hmm. beautiful names how do you balance all in how do you
6: balance all that I don't feel like I balance. Mm-hmm. I negotiate my time. Ooh, yes. say a word. I Go. negotiate. Yes. <laughs> so um I'm really lucky to have a partner who gets it, mm-hmm. who is willing to... Let me shine. Like he knew what I did when we got together and he's the one he put together the website. He's Oh, you're doing the thing today. I need to update the website. Yes. <laughs> and so he is incredibly supportive of me and the work that I do. If, if, if it wasn't for him and of course my faith and fam, like i couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be able to be here mm-hmm. if he, you know, wasn't, you know, pushing me saying, you know, do this. You know, he knows I want to do film. He and bought me the books to read through because mm-hmm. I don't have time to go to school. Right. <laughs> like, you just read this, you can do it. Um, and so he is the biggest advocate um, who listens to my ideas, tells me when something is whack. Mm-hmm. He is... He's amazing. That sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds familiar. I got one of those. Yes, yes. I got and one of and, those. and if you don't have one of those, I, I you know I can't imagine you know what some women go through uh, who are you know married and they don't have that sort of support. Um, and then the other thing is collaboration. So mm-hmm. in higher ed and just in the academy, this belief that you need to be individual, sole the first author, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't breed. Uh, a climate of collaboration but i don't know any other way to do something unless it's you know within community and Mm -hmm. so you know every time there's an opportunity if i can't do it i'm like i can't do it but can you talk to these four or five people Mm -hmm. who all black women you know about (laughs) you know uh an opportunity or if there are you know ways to collaborate you know i can cat has been like Mm -hmm. team lori yeah um So, I mean, it's just through really other Black women lifting me up. Um, You hear that,
2: Onika?
5: (laughs) Do you hear that, Onika?
2: You hear that? This message is for you, Nicki Minaj. Okay.
6: Yeah, so it's just lifting up. um, And I... I can't imagine doing it without, you know, Black women supporting me.
2: Because the um, problems that we're trying to to solve are huge problems.
6: And I think it's uh, Black women got that, that that potion. And I don't think it's... So I know a lot of uh, people love Black girl magic. I love it too, but mm-hmm. I just don't want people to forget the labor.
2: Yeah. Say it's that. magic, but Ooh. it's work, it is a whole lot Ooh. of work. So,
6: uh, and we tied, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go to sleep in that cab. Listen, listen. um, uh, but it's just work, but it's work that I love. Um, as long as it's you know, uplifting black people, black women, um, and then I, you know, I got a bomb ass mother, yeah, you hey. know, who just Mm, keeps it real me too yes keeps <laughs> it real oh my god and two sisters yes mm. who you know help raise me my father isn't with us anymore but i mean i just have always been around community so i never feel like anything i do uh is honestly about me mm. um it's really you know about community and you know building something absolutely
5: i have one last question for you i don't know if kia has more. of course um where
6: do you get them glasses? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. This, this thing, so, you know, self-care is a really big word oh, now, right? It. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I used to go and get my glasses. You know, I would do lens crafters, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to invest. Yes, because
2: like, you wear them on yes. your face.
6: Yeah, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to pay Absolutely. this Extreme amount of money for these glasses because I want to, you know, I'm not going to worry about, Mm -hmm. you know, these other things. And so that's sort of another thing that I've grown into that I can care for other people and care for me, too. Like, if I don't care for me at the center of it all, then, I, you know, I'm worthless to everybody else. And so. I'm just trying to. Um... You see how she ain't tell me where she got them glasses? Oh, uh, <laughs> let me tell you. That's how we do, girl. These these are Burberrys, but I also yes! got some Burberrys. Burberry, um, <laughs> I, I, well, Burberry ain't y'all need wealthy. to uh, start supporting black women and girls. That's right. Uh, I also got some uh, Balenciagas. Those Ooh, ones, I'm gonna hit you with Balenci- those. Balenciaga, Ay- okay. Ay- I got
4: it. Ay- yeah, I'm at
5: Ash, Ay- but so... my glasses ain't. All right. <laughs>
4: I uh, do
2: have one more question. Okay. Yes, please. I want to know what Lori Patton Davis does for fun. Oh, I want to know how she turns up. I want to know if there's okay. a turn up. Yeah, because her... I see the I th- we see
5: know. the rat. It has <laughs> it has poked its the a little, little head. rat on the inside.
6: You got to let her out. It's sometime. in there. It's in there. <laughs> um, I do a lot. So I really love um, tonight. Is going to be a struggle because there's this party tonight, but it's also the finale of Walking Dead and. <laughs> you know, the beginning of Fear the Walking So I, I watch that every time. I love that. TV. Um, I, do, I do love Self-care. TV. I love but, TV. But um, I love travel. When I have an opportunity to travel, I take it. Um, I love roller coasters.
2: Me too.
4: Ooh, me
6: too. Um. Hmm. So we going to see the points? Yes, okay. I yeah. love roller
5: please? coasters. Hell yeah! yeah. I'm, it's going to be me and the doctors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we have to bring Dustin because yes. yes. he <laughs> loves roller coasters. Jay, Dustin, <laughs> and the doctors. Oh, it'll be fun. <laughs> We're going to make it a special.
6: <laughs> and I, I love music. Yes. Um The song that I have been listening to repeatedly over and over again is "Prepared" by Jill Scott. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just, I just want to <laughs> be. Yes. Hey, hey, yes. sing, yes. baby. Sing, baby. Hey. 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 I love Mr. Jill style. Oh my gosh. Um, but you know anytime When she's time singing.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes when she speaks. Most of the time. But we
5: don't have to talk about that. I
6: know. We have to talk about that. I
5: love when I she sings too. I love when yeah. she sings. <laughs>
6: she gotta sing. I love Lauryn Hill when she be showing up on time. When she shows pop? up, right? You when know. she shows up. Um, well, um, but yeah, music yeah. just I don't know transports me to another space, and I can listen to it at home and dance by myself. Yeah. Or yes. Tonight, like tonight, I'm I'm gonna dance at this party. The Black and Brown. Yes. Oh, you go to I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be there. <laughs> well, I'm I'm a be sneak come on, you oh, so can come with me. Have camera President dancing, yeah, it mean, sure, sure is, is. and I'm she's on beat. Please take no. Right, <laughs> I'm coming. Please take no. Well, hi, I'm Doctor. Um, <laughs> You're right, have to be
2: Chef. You can come with me, <laughs> Doctor Chef. <laughs> well, Lori, we are so so grateful. We hope that you have enjoyed your time with us because we have had so much fun. Yes. Thanks for having
6: oh, me. My gosh. Oh my God, I'm great. Keep Hopefully, doing this. Yes, Keep doing this. Thank you. You haven't
2: heard the rest of the show.
5: <laughs> so,
2: hope,
6: well we have fun
2: yeah oh,
5: we do we
2: have, we have a good now, y'all
6: time y'all me so I sound good to the people oh girl
2: you we sound will. amazing Ty okay. work hopefully, your magic hopefully uh, this is not the last of our collaborations and we'll be able to work together in the future well, I'm gonna
6: try to get y'all uh, I'm gonna try to uh, have podcast central at we trying to Come be on, there I love yes be let's there let's be I would there love
5: it. I would love it we want it. to we would I want to bust up in the place
2: <laughs> and ruin yes. everything that
5: everybody's oh, learned oh my gosh Florida so,
2: stand up Florida if y'all want to see us at Ash. If y'all want to come to Tampa and hang out with us, let us know. We yes. will definitely come. Yes. But yes, we appreciate you so we much. Do. We appreciate thank you so much. You. Thank, thank you for taking your time. Thank you, time. Thank thank you, you so much.
5: We love you, Lori. We're going to put <laughs> all the links in the description <laughs> box of where you can find um, Lori. Yes. And um you have any closing words? No. I just love Lori. Yes.
3: Mm. Me too now.
5: (laughs) Me too now. I'm about to come in my jeans and shake my ass with you tonight. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. All right. Thank Thank you, you, Lori. Thank you.
3: If a friend asks how you're doing and you say. I'm okay. When the truth is.
7: I don't want my problems to burden anyone.
3: Or you say. Hang it in there. Because. If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.
8: Here you are. BPM's high. Sweat dripping. Body moving. Tongue.
2: We're at the kitchen table and I'm really excited because we have some very special guests. I'm really, I'm really pumped. But, um, (laughs) so let's welcome to the kitchen table, the authors of upcoming book. Kronk uh, AF, uh, Brittany Cooper, Chanel Craft Tanner, and Susanna Morris. Everybody say, hey, girl. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the kitchen table. We're excited to, got, to have you here um, and excited to learn about all the cool things that you guys are doing. So just for the good of the order, um, would you mind introducing yourselves um, and just kind of... But we'll go we'll go from there but just start with the introduction who you are what do you do and maybe do something fun like um like uh what's the last thing you bought on the amazon so who wants to go first mm, brittany you're <laughs> laughing so I'll start <laughs> dang why well, I
9: get called out <laughs>
4: um,
9: i'm uh, brittany cooper uh, known in the streets as professor crunk um yes. I teach at Rutgers. I'm a writer. Uh I talk shit on TV, you know. That's what I do. And I ride to feminism and smashing the patriarchy. Uh and I just bought some boring shit on uh Amazon. Uh Well, it looks boring, but it's kind of nerdy. So I bought a couple of books about critique and a book called Critique and Praxis, I think, but I I'm, I'm working on a new book and I'm trying to figure some things out, so
5: of course. It sounds
9: it sounds boring, but it's gonna be all right when I get it's done. It's gonna be cool.
5: What's the last thing you listened to?
9: Uh, I just finished. I listened to uh, Khalid featuring Little Babies every chance that I get. <laughs> okay. Yes.
2: <laughs> Is this a book? Did you buy the book, like in handbook or are you a, a e reader girl?
9: Um, I bought this one on Kindle because I needed it, but many books have arrived here today including the new edition of James Baldwin's The Price of the Ticket yes. in hardcover form. It just got reissued and I'm super oh, hyped yes. about that. Oh,
2: wait, so. Yes. I placed my order earlier this week. Yeah, I'm going hey. to that right now. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Okay, Okay, so um, the last thing I bought on Amazon was a big booty bike seat for my Peloton. <laughs> so.
4: Thank you. Because I'm like, Brittany gonna have
0: me looking wild um, with my Amazon list. So I appreciate you Say what you got. It helps. No problem.
9: Why y'all trying to talk shit? I'm, <laughs> just, <talking laughs> I'm just trying. I'm trying.
0: I'm trying Ryan to be books.
9: scholarly and shit. We here to no. talk about a book. Okay. We all are right. here to talk <laughs> about books. We can be I'm scholarly. I never here to
2: talk about books. i am mean, here. I know steer. I'm just giving, I'm just
5: giving <laughs> Chanel a hard time because
9: she's talking to me say my I
6: don't want to say, don't
7: say. Come on, so Chanel.
5: Tell us what, what you got, and then I promise you,
0: I'm somewhere in that vicinity.
9: Why you being shy in front of these people? You ain't shy. No, I'm not. I just didn't
0: want to reveal my Amazon lids because <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay okay i'll go next buy? so i am chanel craft tanner i direct the center for women at emory um and the last thing i bought on amazon i just looked um it's really not that bad but i bought um like i'm trying to be a plant mom but i keep killing my plants so i bought like a little kit to try to do that i'm always trying to do something and i bought um like a sandwich cutter thing for the kids. <laughs> I'm making, I'm making peanut cool. butter and jelly sandwiches, and I just really don't oh, like so. cutting the crust for them. So I like bought one of those things <laughs> that like you smash it into. I feel really lazy saying that, but <laughs> that that's what I bought. So that's mine. You know, plant stuff. I have some cool stuff in the cart though. Like I have these like earring kits. For this event, I'm planning. Um, Love it. So, but that's the not the cart what I is where
2: it's at. The, the cart, cart is cart where it's at. But business. I just put a bunch of that's stuff right. in the
0: cart and then save it for later and then come back to the cart. So, but anyway, that that's what I bought. Your turn, Susanna. <laughs> Damn! I wanted office. it to okay. be something cool, but I knew this wasn't. I know. I week. wanted
5: somebody to buy a vibrator off Amazon.
4: I mean, look, we can. We have, I mean, I've
5: had occasion to buy one uh, out of
9: CVS in a very. Listen, because I,
2: I just found out they had
9: them in CBS. They, yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. they have them. At CBS. I, mean, they not, I mean, I mean, don't. I mean, sometimes they feel like they may burn your stuff off. So I don't know that it's like <laughs> I know. the best quality. But in a in a pinch, then okay. No, well, we they got definitely got have the them echo. on Amazon. We got the echo and stuff.
0: My kids be done saw that. Like I can't. (laughs) (laughs) I can't.
5: I I don't. I have to buy from the back Yeah, I have to go to a a pure (laughs) romance party
0: or something. (laughs) Sneaking in my bag. I can't just be on Amazon all weekend. Can't be on
2: Amazon because Alexa (laughs) will tell your business. I like okay. like she will tell your business That's what your package is <laughs> on the board she's like girl oh, girl <laughs> <laughs> be quiet uh, i'm
9: sorry susanna hey,
10: no worries hey y'all i'm susanna <laughs> i teach at georgia tech and um yeah part of the current feminist collective uh and the last thing i order from amazon is completely unsexy although Definitely can get the vibrator on there. And, you know, <laughs> if you want discrete <laughs> packaging, <laughs> people will just think you're ordering whatever. But the, <laughs> the last thing that I ordered was I have an elderly cat. And so she will only eat cer- certain kinds of food. And so she's really obsessed with Frisky's Little Grillers, turkey flavor. Uh-huh. So that's what uh-huh. Miss Lola Mae, who's 16 years old, Lola. will Lola. eat.
4: Okay. So I had
10: to order some for my old lady who's ornery. That's what she wants to eat, Come on, and if you try to pour it out, man. She, she'll, she'll she's getting into the bowl and everything, so I was like, well, let me make sure. That's on deck. I also go to the pet store. I have a whole routine with her, because it's these little packets, so she got me <laughs> out here doing all kinds of you know, stuff.
5: The, the wet food is minimal. It's so small. It's so small. I'm like, what's, what's
10: really the truth, but... That's what was
2: in. Oh yes, Jade is a cat mom. I am. Where's Trill at? She's right here. She's in her pillow right next to me as I record. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
9: (laughs) She's just
5: very too far. Well, I'm boring. The last things I ordered on Amazon were uh, some some packable cubes in order for me to organize things in my closet. Practical and uh, some new shower curtain rings.
2: Because they don't last as long as they used to, huh? No, and I've also, just gone back to plastic. I've gone back to clear
5: And they're really hard
9: to get up. Like I find that her. I'm like I just get those ones that hook on. Because yes, because
2: trying to like get into the circle thing you're
9: breaking a fan. I pulled nail, down, a finger. Pull down many a shower curtain bar <laughs> and not because I was like that girl was that was trying to strip Mimi. or whatever why Mimi on the floor.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Just about to ask, what's going on in the Mimi house? from loving and Hip Hop. Mimi Love Fouls.
1: <laughs> my maid. Brittany telling all her business. Y'all said bye, no, my, Brittany look, said. "Hey, look
9: here. Hey, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. But also, also, let's get it with the people. A I'm a big old girl, and the only thing that has happened is that I held on to the shower bar, so I to would to get cook, out. And I okay. put my ass out okay. on the floor. There wink, was no leverage. stripping.
4: Wink, wink, There was Just no stripping.
2: Just to need a little leverage. <laughs> right.
4: <laughs> exactly. But it, it didn't what? work out, because it's...
2: To get out.
9: <laughs> to get I'm like, out I'm like, okay, we can, I mean, for Suzanne, what? Susanna like, is telling a lot of her business. I mean, exactly. Her and and don't, don't sleep on that one, because she's trying to put it on me. Oh, but that's uh, not, the one sleep that's there. a hot girl, not me. Right. I'm, I'm very chaste. Susanna, what's so the last thing you
10: listen to? The last thing I listened to, I've been listening to the latest episode of The Read. That's what I was listening to. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So every Tuesday, I'm like, What's going on? <laughs> so that's why I'm just
5: It's to, it is to time.
10: make
4: well, sure.
5: I have to say I ain't never been in a house with this many doctors, this many <gasps> black doctors, this many black women doctors. This is fucking incredible. I feel like, I feel like I snuck in Kia's suitcase and went to the Ash oh, conference girl. and I'm ready to which I'm going to do. So if you all smell weed, it's me. Uh, and just I'm really you. excited to get into this very smart conversation because y'all are some ratchet ass doctors yeah, and I, I like really like to see it I appreciate <laughs> <Correct>. that
9: actually <laughs> Correct. I prefer Rache, but that's fine Ratchet ass doctors
4: absolutely also
9: my hometown is the place where let's get ratchet the song from circa 04 was create Shreveport Louisiana I mean like really it's okay.
2: to okay. my being
9: okay I'm sorry so you an
2: authority Brittany, on have I met you Rache- before? I
5: don't know have we met I don't <laughs> I don't know, because you look so wildly familiar. It's kind of Girl. blowing me. You probably saw her
2: on the TV reading the whites. Because that's what
5: she does. <laughs> I, well, I love that. I watch oh, oh, <laughs> that
4: footage.
5: I don't know. I, I don't I know, mean, you know. And I'm I not trying like to I nigga few, you either. I feel like boy, I, no, I have a few somewhere.
9: doppelgangers out here, so it could it could be the case. But
5: I don't yeah.
2: know. I don't know. But okay. All right, let's chat. Let's talk. I'm excited. So listen, we're here because we're here to talk about a brand new book that's coming out. Um, But before we get there, I want to learn a little bit more about how you all came together. So I know the Crunk Feminist Collective has been a thing since like 2010, right? Absolutely. And you all are the founders of that. So can we tell the people a little bit, for those of y'all been living underneath the rock and don't know, hello. Um, (laughs) Right. We want y'all to just just indoctrinate the folks um, a little bit about what the Crunk Feminist Collective is about. How was it born? And how did we get here? Well, before
10: 2010, uh, when Brittany and I were grad students at Emory, we were just part of a crew, a crew of friends, uh, during the crunk music era. And so Mm -hmm. we kind of at first jokingly were like, yeah, you know, we're feminists, but we also get crunk, meaning we were at the club, we were on the dance floor, you know, getting down and all that, but also getting crunk on people in class who were being racist, sexist, homophobic, (laughs) et cetera. And so we put those terms together and said we were crunk feminists. But it became a real thing. Like we were really a crew and collective of folks who looked out for one another. And then fast forward to 2010. Brittany and I were both professors in the state of Alabama. I taught at Auburn and she taught at Alabama. And we were just looking for feminist community. And -hmm. it was the era of feminist blogging. And so we were like, yo, we don't have a whole lot of resources. And blogs are free, WordPress or whatever you wanna (laughs) use. And we hit up lots of dope ass feminists that we know like Chanel and other members. And that's how the blog was formed. And these days, you know, we're writing books like Feminist AF. Uh, we yes. also have a book called the crunk feminist collection that came out in 2017 Collect- and we have um a newsletter called the remix that y'all can read at the Com. so we're out here just put, putting out work so y'all can add to that but that's the basic origin story of this crew love to hear it
5: yeah well, let's mm-hmm. kick it to Brittany because she said, Brit you all met back in when you were snapping your fingers and doing your step."
9: Absolutely, <laughs> we were out here west side walking at the club, and mm-hmm. you know, in our white tees. Yeah. Uh,
5: Come on, we down
2: to cool nightgowns. Room. I mean, <laughs> nightg- nightgowns. Um, <laughs> nightgowns.
9: It was really, it was really a good era. But you know, we really just came together. You know, as Susanna said, to have build feminist community. The other reason that we came together is because we're working class girls, all mm-hmm. of us. Like, and. We didn't want, you know, people think when you have a Ph.D. that that means you can't talk to nobody. You think you are mm-hmm. better than everybody. Mm-hmm. But right. we come from families where we are often the first to do any Legit. number of things, graduate Absolutely. college, get graduate degrees. And we wanted to always be able to have a conversation with our people about the stuff that mattered. And we wanted to write things that if our grannies or our mamas or our aunties read, or our homegirls back home read, that they would see themselves in it. Um, and also and also to sort of suggest to people that you can have smart conversations with regular folk and you ain't got to yes. talk down to nobody. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and because the Academy also tries to tell us that the people that we want to talk to don't matter and that all that we're ever supposed to be doing is trying to prove ourselves to white people that we're smart. And it's like, well, we know we smart. Right. Uh, and a lot of y'all ain't smart. Right. So <laughs> we're going to actually just talk to the people that have good sense and it's not always y'all. <laughs> and so, you know, a blog allowed us to do that. And it has allowed us to do that in more ways than we ever could have imagined.
2: For sure. And I love that creating community is just so much a part of our DNA as Black women. Mm -hmm. And that community, like, really, it it sustains us. Um, When you're talking, it makes me think, like, you know, as I remember, we create these little communities to learn how to do this from each other because like Mm -hmm. you said we are the first of our families to do many things and so coming up in this way um together is like a such a such a bond so even though I don't haven't haven't known you all personally coming up as a young grad student and reading the blog and now reading your books like it feels like we are all old friends (laughs) so I'm appreciative of um of these spaces is even like getting grown similarly. Like we create spaces where we can sit around and teach each other the things that we may not have otherwise been able to come to know. Absolutely. Um, Coming from
5: two different standpoints. For sure. As Kia being of you all's collective (laughs) (laughs) and me being a bitch with a GED. But you know what I'm saying? You know, we come together and we're all black women. And I think that's the beautiful foundation Of being able to have these conversations and
7: Brittany, I figured out where the fuck I know you from. Oh my God, oh no.
5: you was on, in our mother's garden worse than she Oh, okay.
7: yeah. oh
4: yeah. I was going <laughs> was was like, like,
9: Because, you know, sometimes <laughs> I'll be in these she streets like, and, and she she might head not head be right. Like, you no, know, I'm, a sad. Sad. I'm, <laughs> I'm a obsessed. I love it. Yeah, our girl, my girl Chantrelle Lewis did that film and she did a masterful job. She did an amazing masterful.
5: job. I, when yeah. I tell you, mama's with the jewelry, all my homegirls was hit me. They was like, look at you. In, like, 30 (laughs) years, bitch. And I was like, yeah, that's me. That's right now. But I'm obsessed, and I just... I appreciate
9: that. And also, you know, y'all were so loving to Eloquent Rage. I heard that episode. Mostly because a lot of my people hit me up like, did you, have you heard? And, you know, like, some of my folks that definitely are not academics really listen and love y'all, and so that's how I got put on, and so... I'm so thankful for your work and it's definitely having reached like my homegirls from back in the day was like, Hey, <laughs> like we heard you. And they also was like, so you like might be a little bit important. I was like, This you uh
5: <laughs> bitch, I've been important, first of all. Since before any of the shit. <laughs> I mean, I took I look, I took it if
9: when black girls say that you are speaking their language and talking to them and talking about their concerns. That's always a better marker of whether you actually doing your work than any For of sure. the other accolades you can get. You know? Yes, so absolutely. I appreciate y'all. Absolutely.
5: that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we about to go to you should I, I promise we about to come. I watched that but I watched that documentary and let me tell I called my grandma. I was like, yo, somebody's <laughs> gotta come over and set you up a Netflix. i I ordered I made her a whole Netflix account. I was like you gotta watch this um i watched it like four times it is mm. that's why i was like i, I wasn't nigga i wasn't being a nigga with you. i wasn't <laughs> I, know you from?
4: <laughs> I was like oh lord it
5: well had not. to come together okay all right yeah. please proceed i am so sorry <laughs> I, you were not I, interrupting i had a little fan out for a minute <laughs> i
4: did
2: oh i think now's the time now's the time we can because you know i was telling jay earlier um, when we were prepping for the show, I was like, I can't wait. I'm going to ask Chanel to share her dissertation topic because I'm going to watch Jay light up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> okay, I'm ready.
5: Wait, let Please. me get my blood. Okay, go. Ahead, go, ahead, go ahead.
0: <laughs> okay, I do not remember the title. Okay, beyond, beyond the bars, um, I looked at uh, constructions of a prison state in hip hop. So, Basically, I listened to a bunch of hip hop from 94, which was a really important year. That's like the crime bill. I didn't realize that at the time. I was just like mm-hmm. picking out songs that I like. But I was looking at how people who were really experiencing the brunt of incarceration, the brunt of a surveillance state, were speaking back to that and seeing it as a form of resistance. And so I was you know, looking at how folks in the hood see the hood as another space of confinement. Um, but also which was so beautiful about like one time I was presenting this at a conference and a girl was from the hood she was like but it's not all confinement like we had fun too it was beautiful too so I also was able to you know I heard that critique and went back and was like yeah it's also a space of freedom too so what are these moments where you know folks are trying to get free so both articulating how it feels to be confined in your own home and you know looking at Jay-Z lyrics like you know I want to get out of here I'm from the dirt like all of that but also looking at space where we are seeing some places where folks are trying to get free. And I use, like, the coldest winter ever, which I that was my... <laughs> I was so in love with that book.
1: like and a minute, so I'm I just it, did a whole to book <laughs>
0: And I'm like, see right here, this is so, when Winter said this, you know, so it was really a wonderful dissertation to write once I got into the meat of it, because I got to watch Boys in the Hood and um, mm-hmm. what's the one deuces here, uh, South Central, like I'm watching mm-hmm. movies like that and really just translating really is what I felt like I was doing, just translating hip hop. Um, for academics because it was just so much value there yeah okay
2: (laughs) there was know, there was there was a working title at one point I don't know if it if it would became the official title but the first part was like police stay on us like tattoos or something Okay. yes
0: yes that was that (laughs) because it was from the little Kim line and you know that ended up being a chapter (laughs) title I believe um but that was before when before I got called out for not recognizing the joy the the after school centers the community gardens the women Mm -hmm. in the hood that were trying Mm -hmm. to make it a beautiful place the hand games that girls played like Mm -hmm. so i was seeing it you know a little too dark and so it was Mm -hmm. just really beautiful to have a sister remind me of like nah but we had block parties like don't don't forget that part and so so the title had to change because it was beyond just police staying on us like tattoos we were resistant to. i
7: love that
5: though and i love that that you took that that critique And we're able to to highlight that black joy because the hood is my favorite place everywhere I go, except for Gary, Indiana. That can burn (laughs) forever. But (laughs) I have strong beef with Indiana. Uh, But anyway, I say all that to say I think that's beautiful and I think it's beautiful when you can take. Criticism like that, oh yeah, reroute. I think that's a that's a beautiful. Let me read it and stop acting funny about it. I'm gonna send it to you. I'm gonna send
0: it to you, but when it's coming from a place of love, then what else? What else can you do? And that's what I think. You know, the other part about the Crunk Feminist Collective is that, like, not only is it about holding up this everyday form of feminism but it's normalizing collectivity because that's how we've always done things and so if you're not just you know one of those people at the conferences that's like well what about that time Bonnie and Clyde were yeah, in yeah. the fort it was like you know I'm not talking about that Bonnie and Clyde you know good and well I'm talking about Jay-Z and Beyonce like why are you doing that you know but you know- it's friends with PhDs. If it's it's from a genuine place where it's like, I see you, sister, I see what you're trying to do, but let me call you in and I think we're always open. I appreciate it because we Mm -hmm. can't do it without community and collectivity makes everything just better. It's harder and it's slower, but it's better and it's stronger. So Absolutely.
5: I'm very excited. Okay, I have one more question before Kia gets into the meat and the potatoes of this important conversation. (laughs) What is everybody's science?
0: I'm a Taurus.
5: Hey, Earth Gang Gang. Okay, Brittany. <laughs> Wait, what are you, Jay? What I'm are a you? Virgo.
0: Oh, I love Virgos and Capricorns,
5: <laughs> yes. I'm like super drawn to Tauruses. Super. Okay, Brittany, your turn.
9: I am a Sag Sun, Libra, Moon, Aquarius rising.
5: Ooh, I knew you were a Sag. I had a feeling. <laughs> I had a feeling you were sedge. He is a Sag. Okay, Susanna, your we're turn. Sag gang, Sagittarius. Yeah. And, okay, so we got some Earth, rising, we got some Earth and Aquarius. fire up in here, and then Brittany's bringing the yeah. the wind with the air.
9: That's right. Yeah. So yeah, Susanna's an Aquarius Moon, so we have a whole, oh. you know, fire. So Susanna's Sag, Aquarius, Sag, and I'm Sag, okay. Libra, Aquarius. And I say that because see, everybody thinks that Susanna's the nice one oh, and Lord. I'm the mean one, but Susanna will fight you, right? I want to take you down with arguments, <laughs> and Susanna will just pop and then you out. Like,
5: it's,
10: <laughs> people okay. be missing hey, this. I'm is important. That. I don't know. I
5: mean, that's it. It's, She's why. like, you I'm catch saying. these hands. That's all I'm. I mean, talking my with. Libra be my
9: Libra be fucking up my gangster very often. It's like, <laughs> oh, we can just be friends and be together. Yeah.
4: We'll just, and I and I literally Free. sometimes
9: be like, where the hell did they you are. come <laughs> from? Like, yeah. oh my god, it gets on my nerves because so much. She'll yeah, call I need him.
10: that. Aquarius all up
5: and through.
10: Who do we we need to fight? You know, but
5: Susanna, you (laughs) on my type of time.
2: (laughs) Okay, Kia, get into it. I'm done with my fluff. No, Brittany and I are the peer mediators, and you guys will deal. Thank you. (laughs) Correct. Um, This is true. Okay, so before, okay, so one of the things I wanted to sort of start with was, you know, in Eloquent Rage, Brittany, you share sort of like kind of your evolution, how how your. definition of feminism has evolved. And, um, I remember a quote from one of the early chapters when you, when you're in your young years, when you said that feminism was some white women shit. And for many of us, we were introduced to feminism very much through that, you know, no bra wearing white women lens. And so can you talk a little bit about, um, just how you've come to Celebrate your own feminism or feminism as it relates to Black women and why that's important for us to talk about.
4: Yeah.
9: I mean, what I'll say is that when I thought it was white women's shit, I really hadn't read anything. Um, <laughs> real talk. And, you know, we should say that more because sometimes we just be out here raggedy, not having done our work, but wanting to have positions right. on things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I went to grad school and I had these really dope Black women professors and they were like, it ain't never just been race. Our struggle has always been also been about gender. And because I was able to see some sisters that I could sort of model from, what really happened was that when I heard them talking, I was like, they talk in the kind of sense that makes sense to me, right? Um, and they helped me to realize that my whole, part of the reason I had missed the patriarchy is op- the way I operated in my life is because, you know, all the women in my family ran shit. My mama raised me, my mm-hmm. her sisters, my grandmother, um, but then I realized that they raised me because the dudes, the men in my life, my father being one of them, weren't helpful and were often harmful. And I had just let, you know, I had just put that to the side. And so when I got a language for how patriarchy and male dominance had actually shaped so much of the the struggles that my family had faced, it just felt like a really important part of the story. Mm-hmm. And. And then it wasn't hard to say, right, why don't I think that black women are central to a project of black liberation? Because my whole praxis is black women. I have homegirls, I've always had deep friendships. Black women are my safe place. Um, And that's really in the end what black feminism means to me that black women are my safe place. And from that, I get to do the political organizing and visioning that I wanna do for the world. Um, and my classes made more sense of that. But also, like, when I was in grad school, I met feminists like Susanna. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was, like, around all these really smart sisters. And I was like, well, what they own? Because I'm trying to be,
4: <laughs> right. I'm
9: trying to be on that, you know. And I, and I watched the way that they lived it out and owned it. Um, and it, it made it easier for me to evolve. And I am very much a person who often wants, you know, wants to see models for the things that I can become. And maybe that's that thing about growing up in a place and having to be a trailblazer and not always having models for some of the things I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of of times those models were my homegirls, you know, Mm -hmm. and I always secretly like admire them. And I'm like, well, they got that thing figured out. Let me get like them. Um, And so that was how I sort of, you know, entered the journey. I love it.
2: And I feel like a lot of well, I'll speak for myself, I entered the journey later on in life and would have loved to have been introduced to it a lot sooner. Yeah. And so what I think is dope about the new book is that this is, you know, targeted for younger audiences. So Susanna, Chanel, can you speak to a little bit? Can you speak to why it's so important for us to, to start this conversation earlier with our girls? Mm hmm. I know you have a good answer, Chanel. Go
10: ahead, go ahead. All right, I'll go
0: first, I'll go first. I mean, I also didn't find feminism until I was 18. I had never heard the word. So it wasn't that it was a negative connotation. I just never heard it until I took a women's studies class. And once I did, it just completely opened up. I I think I was ripe for it. I think that there were things that happened that once I had the language, it was like, oh, I can see why I like this ideology. Um, But I just think that, you know, Generation Z is uh, is asking for it. They already mm-hmm. are there. They're saying, I'm a feminist. My, when my daughter was six, she came to me and said, I'm a feminist. Um, wow. And I didn't, so for me, at 18, not knowing the word to have a six-year-old who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a feminist. And it's like, okay, so y'all have this language, but do y'all know what the, what the day-to-day is like? How do we live our feminism out loud? And so they can identify that. They can read all the books that say it. They can watch Beyonce and Taylor Swift and a lot of their favorite favorite celebrities declare it and understand what it means on a political level but do they know how it can structure their friendships, mm-hmm. how it can help them with their dating life, how you know to navigate their family relationships in the ways that feminism can be not only helpful, you know, to helping you navigate girlhood but helping you crush that shit. Like we mm-hmm. don't want you to grow up and be like I got through it. No, feminism can help you have a better girlhood. Um, and so I think that they they want it, they're ready for it, and we're at a place where we we have something to say to them, you know, from a loving place, meeting them where they are and just helping them, you know, in this journey, They're, they already are amazing. This is a really incredible generation, but like all generations, they need help. They need guidance. And we're just here for that.
10: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would add too, so is, is that oh. this book is for girls, you know, it's for gender non-binary youth and gender expansive youth. But it's also for their parents, it's for the aunties, Mm -hmm. it's for the uncles, the gunkles, whoever. It's for the village. And so, you know, 40-something-year-old Susanna, (laughs) even though I helped write the book, I'm getting something out of it. Like, just looking through, like, dang, we wrote, yeah, that's true. I wish I had that in 1994. You know what I mean? Like, it's helpful to me in 2021. But, okay, I really could have used this information on feminist friendships in the 90s. As a teenager. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, when my nibblings or when, you know, a young person in my life or maybe one of my students comes up to me because I'm child free. Right. I'm not a parent, but I'm a part of many villages. I know I can use this as a resource. So that's also part of the vision for this book. So it's for young people to read cover to cover or to pull out a chapter when they need it. But it's also for adults who may need it for their own healing journey, right, but also as, Mm -hmm. you know, your young ones are like, so I got a boo, and I'm trying to see what's up with them, and how do I navigate that? We want them to be out here having feminist relationships, you know? One of the things we say about, you know, we talk about gender and gender presentation and sexuality, and we're like, you can like whoever you like, Whoever they are, whatever their gender is, whatever your gender is, don't be raggedy and don't let them be raggedy. That is a guiding principle of feminism. <laughs> right. yeah, don't be out here being raggedy. Mm-hmm.
5: Right. Mm-hmm. So I love it. Oh, this is this is such a good. Co- so I want I have a question for you. all. What were your first examples, even if you didn't have the language? Because as you were talking, especially you, Chanel, I was thinking about my mother and a lot of the principles and things that she taught me growing up. Uh You know, you don't ever tell no nigga how much money you got. You make sure you put some aside (laughs) for yourself. You don't ever fully rely on no nigga. You be able to to, to go on and do whatever you need to do without them. Mind you, my parents have been married now for 37 years. (laughs) But she was very adamant about making sure that my sister and I um, were capable of taking care of ourselves emotionally, financially and so many things in between. And I didn't have the language of, of being a feminist either. I don't even know if I've ever even called myself a feminist until maybe this very minute, but <laughs> I, 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 that ass. But not because I don't believe it. I just, it wasn't the language that we, that we use coming up. So what were you all's like first examples that you can think of, of, of feminist figures in your life?
0: Little Kim. So, yes. was she is a, in your
5: life.
0: <laughs> I was 11 when that hardcore album so came up. And my mother was like, maybe a little hippie ish. Like, she kind of just was like, yeah, if you want it, I don't know why she let me get this album. <laughs> but I was a huge hip hop head before that. And so I would be on the stoop with the boys. Like, you were cool if you knew the lyrics, the song. So I was uh-huh. like, pen, paper, stop, rewind. <laughs> like, you know, I. But, you know, rap and debate who's the best rapper, and I would be stuck when the conversation would get to sex. They like, yo, my shit's so big, and I'm like, yeah, my hole's so big, and they're like, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, You know, cause we eleven, nobody really knows. <laughs> so I had no, I, like, oh, okay, well, I can't use that one. So <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know. So little Kim comes on the scene though, and she's like saying the same stuff they saying, you know, saying that she wants sex and she wants it in this way. And it felt like, and she's also from Brooklyn and she would kind of, you know, drive her. So there was also that, but like, you know, just that kind of, now I, pro- it's more of an equality kind of feminism. Mm-hmm. Like girls can do whatever boys can do. Mm-hmm. But as a girl, that was an introduction to me of like, yeah, boys can do what girls can do. And you can demand what you want when you, when you're ready to have sex. Like these are things that I think we, you know, would now call sex positivity that mm-hmm. a lot of adults were tisking us uh, mm-hmm. for listening to the music, but she—it was her for me. It, it was really like when I really learned more about it. She—she she was my icon, and so yeah, it was—it was little Kim. I love
5: that. <laughs> okay, Brittany, your turn.
9: Oh
4: wow. Um, um
9: you, you know, one, one of the things, things is—I is, mean, my, my mama's, mama's a savage, savage. like real mm-hmm. talk. I mean, she will fight people. She, my mama just—she <laughs> does not play and just was never here for being held down and, and and was always like i mean part of it was that my dad really was a was a, a challenging figure that's what i'm gonna say and you know she just was like you're not going to stop me and and so like one of my best examples my mom was in a, a couple of different abusive relationships when i was a kid and she left every time and that's important because abusive relationships are dangerous and they're really dangerous for women to leave and my mom was like i love myself enough to leave this and then i'm going to do the work to love myself enough to try to get out of this and while now i have a structural analysis about how the dudes need to change more than the women mm-hmm. the the way that we live it out is about saying like i have value and my value is not tied to no negro and what he doing or not doing uh, but my other uh favorite one i mean my grandmother I talk about this in eloquent rage like said to me one time oh I would never get married again because no man is gonna tell me what groceries I can get at the grocery store and what you know and I was like not groceries at the grocery store maybe like oh my granddaddy was kind of a tyrant um and she also told me uh don't ever she was like she I rolled up on the porch one day and she was like it's time for you to start having sex and I was like what uh, oh right yeah, And man. she was like, but don't you do it if they won't wear no combos. And I was like, "Condos." <laughs> I, remember that. I was like, not combos. But my grandmother had a hearing impairment. And so she often mispronounced things. Okay. Uh, and I and I originally I figured out that she meant condoms. Not condoms. Um but she was like, yeah, she was like, she was like, you know, because she said when I was young, I wanted birth control and we couldn't get the stuff. So you do it. But you don't do it unless they will. And if they won't do it, then you don't do it. And I was like, well, thanks for this sex and talk. I mean, I'm 22, but I'll take it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, um, those were my ladies. You know, and, and what I appreciate was they had this fierce sense without access to college education. My grandmother didn't get to finish high school that they're ability to determine their lives and their destiny was in their hands and they seemed Mm -hmm. really clear about the way that men who didn't do their work were a limit for that and they seemed to model that every day don't let these negroes keep you from your goals who you supposed Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. you you show up and you shine no matter what um and you know i appreciate that
5: i love that okay
10: Susanna. So my story is kind of similar to yours, Jade. Um, my, mother my mother is definitely really like, like make sure, sure you have your own bank account that nobody knows about. Make sure you make have, sure have, have something hidden whatever place in whatever place you need to hide in. Mm-hmm. And all of, all of that. And so, so I tell I the, tell the story, story, it's in the, the book, 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 and they did they, they they a little illustration, illustration. Because, because when my mom got married back, back in the day, she, she was like, I'm gonna wear a pantsuit because I can wear that again. And I'm not gonna change my last name. And I'm gonna go home and live by myself. Oh,
2: wait, she went home.
5: Oh wait a, wait a minute. minute! I wasn't prepared <laughs> for that.
2: <them. laughs> Plot twist. Separate.
5: She's like, all right, I'll <laughs> see you in the morning for eggs. Maybe.
2: Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Call Maybe. you tomorrow. Wait, wait. No, <laughs> no, call you tomorrow.
10: Wow, <laughs> wow. We a a queen. Queen. So She We look like marriage <laughs> is for the <laughs> birds. Like, like marriage is a is terrible, terrible idea. Yeah, you, you should just have children.
4: children. That's it. That's
10: okay.
4: It. If you want. You
10: want. So but she, she never used, used my mother does not use the term, term feminist. feminist. Like, like you, know, you know, I'm like, oh, we oh, wrote, wrote this book, Feminist Day Up. Day She's up. like, She's that's, like that's, that's nice. nice. That's, that's not that kind of a term, term that, that she uses, uses right? right. Yeah. <laughs> She's under yeah but she's it's a it's feminist like she, she moves through, moves through the, the world in feminist, feminist ways. ways and it's, and it's really brilliant. I mean I think similar to like to like you know there's, you know, just, there's lived just lived experience that everyday black, black man my mother does not have a PhD or or, or, anything, or anything like, like that, that you know but, but just very just clear, clear like, like these the are the boundaries. boundaries these are the these things, things that you do, that you do and you do and don't do you know so yeah get married in a pantsuit and live at your own house
4: this is, this is why, why black women I are supreme.
5: Y'all see all these multifaceted <laughs> layers
2: of these queens <laughs> over here right now. I've been just, I've been just great company. company. I'm so, so excited. excited. Okay, okay Kia, go, go ahead. Well, no, I was thinking about mine, and I don't know, um, cause for whatever reason, only like fictional characters are coming to mind, and like okay. only in like special, like because I'm thinking about the Cosby Show episode where Claire was on with the white, uh, the on the TV show to discuss the books. With yeah the white men, and they was mm-hmm. trying to carry her mm-hmm. um i that I remember like watching that as a young girl, like, you know what? <laughs> like, that's
11: what's <laughs> up
2: right there, And not to say that, um <clears throat> I think like Susanna said, like m- nobody in my family would use the term feminist like what I or would identify themselves like that, but my grandmother. Um, and my grandparents have been married like 65 years and, but she still was very much like, let me tell you, this is what you do to take care of yourself. Um, and she, we have conversations even now because, um, you know, I'm almost, I mean, I'm 30, I'm 38, I'll be 39 this year. And, uh, you know, people ask me about my uterus and when I'm going to have children all the time. And my, um, my grandmother talks about how her friends... Her friends friends and and other people at the church, church, like, tease her for not not having any (laughs) great-grandchildren. And she was like, you know, she was telling me, like, i stick up for you, though, because you don't have to do (laughs) nothing. You don't don't have to do nothing nothing because because they say you have to do (laughs) it. So, um, but, um, but, you you know, know, just thinking about the ways in which that sort of advocacy and that language sort of comes out. Even though you know it's it's different for every every person, but Jay, I want to know who you said your mom, right? Okay, yeah, we
1: Yeah, talk. my mom and my
5: grandma. My grandma is like peak because she had eight kids. She didn't really work, so she wasn't sure. I guess, you know, idea of whatever a feminist might be or stereotypical idea, but she did not take no shit. My grandmother was an alcoholic for years. Uh, well past when I was born due to circumstances, you know, out of his control Um, and when it got to a point she had eight kids with him and said she took the three youngest and she was like fix your shit, I don't have time for this right now and she left and went to Detroit with her her brothers and she just didn't tolerate anything, she didn't put up with any bullshit and I watched my grandfather who passed away, I think eight years ago not seven years ago um i watched him essentially kiss the ground she walked on my entire life because she didn't tolerate no shit and that's just what it was and so my grandmother is a is a fierce example on top of so many other things that she's dealt with um and my mother so i'm really grateful for that uh for those two examples
2: i love how the how we see feminism show up in so many different aspects and areas of life and I think what's cool about the book is that we're talking of you all all are talking about it through all of these like practical real life situations so when you were writing the book was was there ever like how did it how did you decide that it was going to be set up that way did we sit down and say like whoa when I was 12 I wish somebody would have told me xyz or was there some other sort of guiding framework that that um, was behind uh, the way the book is structured.
0: I think our process was one in which we kind of, all right, it's time to write. And we mm-hmm. just created a list of all the things that we wish we would have had an opportunity to talk about. Or, you know, a lot of us have played that role with our, you know, god sisters or godchildren or nieces, nephews, cousins, where we're the ones that's in the car taking them to cheerleading practice. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I lost my virginity. And you like, oh, today you talking about this, you know? So I think we kind of like rolled those conversations that we already had with the ch- the young people in our lives into, you know, the book. And so we kind of listed and then we would divide up, like I'll try this chapter this week. And then, you know, we come back together. It was a beautiful process. I miss them so much because we got Aww. so close because we would meet like every other week to go over what we had, where we were stuck, you know? So we are in every single chapter of the book. We've touched every part. We would have those really deep conversations about our own girlhood. You know, I've been journaling since I was probably in middle school. And like Mm -hmm. a fool, I went back to my high school journal when it was my turn to look at the, I think the dating chapter and went into a state of depression. Like, oh my Mm -hmm. God. Like, it was just so, you know, heartbreaking. Like those first loves and those... First heartbreaks, and, and to pull myself out of that, I had to think about what would I have, what what would feminism have given me? What do I know now that I would like to say to sixteen year old Chanel? So there's there's a lot of lo- like community in the book. It was it was a beautiful process to to do that. So, and then, and then, you know, you just start playing around with what you have and like, let's, this goes together. These kind of things, all these chapters all seem to be talking about how they push back or how they understand the isms. These chapters really seem to be about love and relationships. These seem to be about, you you know, self-love, which, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't have a feminism if you're not loving yourself. So we, Mm -hmm. you know, we really dedicated, we really structured the book based on themes once we had the chapters that we really thought like this is what we want to say
2: i love it it seems like it's going to be one of those books that you read uh but you always like also will come back to and reference because i feel mm-hmm. like i'm gonna be like well let me get to this chapter on dating i hope
4: that. that
0: that is how it's engaged i think you know mothers and daughters together can look at yeah. it i think I've already referenced it my daughter's nine but the school that she, she's in a new school and she was having like a hard time it's the first time she's really been challenged and I was like well mommy says in bossing up um you know this and so I've already been able to go back to the book for for her and so I I, I absolutely agree that that's how people are going to be able to use it I hope so
2: no but I'm saying is it a book I feel like it's a book we could we should read As good as girlfriends, or is it something we should read? Like, you know, any out like would it be is a good is it recommended to read it together for like discussions, or is there one? I don't know. Yeah, I mean,
9: I think that just we this book is a conversation that we had together, Mm -hmm. and I think you can sense that. And we really did, we talk, you know, because we're telling all of these stories and we're talking about. What are the principles that we learned and, you know, and we challenge each other and push each other. How do we say this thing? Is that really true? You know, Mm -hmm. is that actually helpful? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I what we always hope is that our work sparks a conversation and then helps those conversations to be richer and more healing. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, one of the things that's interesting about publishing in this moment is that everybody's always like, who your audience but see when you're like a black woman writer we have so many audiences simultaneously it's like we need we trying to speak to the kids you know we're trying to speak to young folks and have a rich conversation with them but we're also like you know girl go back and read this for your 12 year old self that's Mm -hmm. still in there that shows up sometimes to heal her to sort of like you know because so often we were talking to like You know who we were at 12 and 13. And my theory is that most of the drama that goes down in a lot of these social justice and fluffy spaces is is always people just reliving middle school anyway and being like, (laughs) people didn't hate me. I ain't had no friends and you people are bullies and I'm not going to be treated like this. It's amazing, you know, and it's like if you think about who you're thinking about in that moment, it's always like your 12 or 13 year old self who is like, and I remember what, and so (laughs) at least that's true for me. Uh, And so this book, like, speaks to that girl and hopefully all the girls in this moment who are trying to navigate that space too
5: yeah it's so funny I be watching these these they be arguing and fighting and I'm like man y'all are crazy as cat shit y'all just going back y'all didn't have no friends y'all don't know how to be (laughs) friends with people you don't know how to deal with people on a human level and that's what I appreciate in this conversation with you all aside from the fact that all four of you have PhDs you got common damn sense <laughs> because there's plenty of people I've had conversations with and you can throw your education all over the place, but you can't sit up here and hold no fucking conversation with me. This is, this is engaging. I think this is really what black girls need. I want to get a copy from my daughter's school because they hold a black girl affinity group. Oh, nice. And I think that, yeah, as you all were talking, I'm like, I have to get a copy for their for their school specifically also, as well as Jade, the crib.
9: You know, degrees don't keep you warm at night. There I mean my go. degrees are not in my Period. bed. They they hanging on a wall and that it really and you know, that's also a thing black feminism teaches you is that you gotta do your work. I, mm-hmm. None of us likes the black folks that hide behind their degrees and their credentials I and I they know. whatever and use fancy language as a cloak for not dealing with your jealousy, your crunkness, your anger, your sadness, your, you know, whatever it is we're not trying to give young folks language so that they don't have to show up. We're trying to give them language so they can show up better because Mm -hmm. that's what feminism meant for us. It's like, you know, cause sometimes sisters be doing real terrible shit to each other. And we're like, we really are about sisterhood and we don't always agree. We get on each other's nerves, but we love each other. Mm -hmm. Like we, and we love each other in a way that we come back to the table. We always try to treat each other with care. And that's true in our collective in general. And that's part of the reason that we got to have like a praxis of sisterhood and that we, and that this is why you also want young girls to have this book now, because they're right in the moment where everybody is being terrible to each other. Middle Mm, school is terrible. And we want a book that says like demons, even if all the people around you are trash, like just know we got you. Cause sometimes you find your friends in books before you Mm -hmm. find them in real life. And -hmm. so that they know that like, there is another way to be. And sometimes you got to go through some shit until you find your people, but you ain't crazy. Right. right? Um, And I hope that this book becomes a companion for girls who are feeling that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And also, you know, we have like the do's and don'ts of, of being friends too. Like, how you treating people, and are yeah. you doing your work? You know, are you showing up? Are you being raggedy, right? Don't yeah, I think
0: that was one of the best parts, is that like we really tried to be vulnerable enough to say like, when I was a girl, I fucked that up. I had that fight mm-hmm. over a boy, okay. and I should not have done that. That was not a shining moment, mm-hmm. right? Like, so being able to, to be open enough to say, You know, I was raggedy and honestly, sis, this time you might be the raggedy one. Like, it's not to just say like, you know, we were perfect and we were always this way. No, we 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 muddied through muddled through um, girlhood, too, and and made a lot of mistakes. But here we are now. And I mean, we even go through how to properly apologize, how to give each other grace. Like all of that is in here because we think that's what girls need. But something else you were saying, Brittany, reminds me, too, that like, the personal is political so the book is both about our the personal relationships that girls have but it's also really like feminism is about saving lives so people using you know I'm a feminist or their degrees and stuff as a way to trump people or to to, to be mean to people it, it misses the purpose because Women are still out here dying. Like we yes. we really need feminism, not just so that we can be better friends and better to each other. That is super important. But the world is on fire right. and feminism right. has a particular set of tools and a lens. I mean, we put it in the book. We know where the bodies are buried. Right? Mm-hmm. Like so yeah. we we know, we we know the answers here. So
9: And you know, the, the the one other thing is just and 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 all the cultural references in this book are about black and brown girls, unapologetically. We're not talking about white girls. You know, we're not out here trying to center them. So we're talking about, you know, your hair, your, you know, the things that are going on with you and your girls, the way that y'all talk, what chick you trying to holler at and how Mm -hmm. she might be showing up and how you might be showing up. Like we're Mm -hmm. trying to think about what are black and brown girl experiences? What are immigrant black and brown girl experiences? in part because one of the ways we want to undo the narrative that white that, femi- that white women created feminism is by displacing white girls from the center of the narrative exactly. and also so that they can understand, too, as they read this book that, yes, all of us have to think about confidence. Yes, all of us need to think about body politics. Yes, all of us got to navigate our families. But, sis, your family ain't like mine and the right. pressure my mama putting on me <laughs> uh, to show up in the world and be a certain kind of lady and achieve certain things and make my family proud is different from the pressure that is on white girls to and how mm-hmm. they show up in the world right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm.
2: that I love the emphasis on the practice of feminism the work of feminism because I feel like uh, especially now a day's it's a label that people, or you know, so people just sort of wear it. Like I'm a feminist, but they don't really live a life no. that lines up with the principles and the qualities, um, and the behaviors. and And I love that the book really deals with how to be a better person, how to be less raggedy, and owning that that is work, right? And we all have to do it. Some of us, uh, and, and we're gonna we're gonna fuck up, like, mm-hmm. and they're, they're but but being able to face our flaws is a part of that work and it's all super important so I'm really excited about um the book it comes out next month on October 5th
5: October 5th, all October
2: right. 5th. is
5: it available for pre-order it is available Absolutely. for pre-order well let me go ahead and order I'm gonna order five copies right now it's so yes, we love it's to hear
10: it. Yes.
2: Is there anything else coming up that we that you guys want to share with our audience anything that um Uh, We want to get our listeners looking out for.
9: Well, we going on tour. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. We are going to be in New York, New Jersey, Atlanta, uh, uh, Southern California, uh, Chicago, Chicago, Indiana. So, mm. you know, we'll be posting four <laughs> dates, but come through. Not Gary. <laughs> be careful. Check be us.
2: Um, be careful and sanitize everything. Okay? Listen,
9: listen, we vaccinated. <laughs> We're about to be masked out here and talking Period. very crazy. And also, That's speaking right. of that, we love y'all, but keep your distance. You know, we got right. to from a distance. That's what and I was going to say. Yeah. Elmo.
2: Uh, don't run up on the girl. Don't do not don't don't, don't don't run up, up. on me
9: in, in pre and in non-COVID times because I don't <laughs> like hugs. But also,
4: in
2: these times, definitely don't do it. In these okay. times, just wave. Just wave.
0: Just wa- what up? Nothing wrong with the wave.
2: <laughs>
5: well, I'm coming and I'm yes. gonna hug you. Not yes. <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> husband. We're just gonna have it, like come on, just give
9: me a hug, Brittany. Oh, COVID yeah. test oh my get my vaccination, my do, vaccination don't do, don't do, card. Don't do me like that. I really just be like, why though? Like, I just, why? Yeah.
4: I'm going
5: hug you from behind. I'm
0: just gonna Actually, that may be safer. That may be safer. Yeah, maybe behind hugs are the way to go. That seems dude, safe. Dude, let me.
5: Know. I'm, I'm gonna set a good example. I'll be there. We'll all say hi from a distance. All of us will have our mask on. That's and, all right. And, and we're gonna respect the ladies, but. That's very exciting. Is it is there, exciting. A, we got to post that. We have to make sure all those links are in the description box for you Absolutely. all to check out the tour. We yes.
2: can't wait. I'm going to try to run through one of those sites if I can. Y'all, um, it's been such a pleasure having you all at the Kitchen table. Y'all are welcome back anytime. Yes.
9: Appreciate you.
2: Thank um, you. It's been dope. So uh, thank you. I have one coming.
5: final question before we head out. Oh, all right. What's the last thing everybody ate? I'm always very excited to know what people oh, are eating. Yes
0: okay i just went to zoe's and got a cauliflower rice bowl Mm. and also added the grilled potato salad i'm trying to get right because britney's been saying that book tours can be grueling so i'm trying to you know get my veggies back up i'm looking for some sea moss i'm (laughs) trying i
1: got some emergency
0: i'm like
5: you you know all the things i'll send you the link they're delicious
10: Works. Well,
0: thank you. I've never oh, had it, so I'm a little bit scared, but I'm going to do all the things to get myself ready taste, over the next Just put it in weeks. your
10: smoothie. It won't taste like anything.
0: Okay, well, Mm-mm. thank you. Please send me the link. So I sure okay. will. Okay, Brittany, um, what'd you last eat?
9: I made uh, tabbouleh today um, and had it with a little bit of uh, not pita, but like Trader Joe's is my joint, so mm. flatbread, mm. pita, a little bit of hummus. I'm on my Mediterranean diet and also trying to Use my summer tomatoes up, and so tabbouleh is a good use of
5: them. Oh, I know! I have to go can some right after this. Work because they're going. They're going back. They're going fast. See, we have to. Okay, Susanna, your turn. We on some
10: Mediterranean stuff for real because lunch to work, but I Mm -hmm. was running kind of late and discombobulated, and I went to a food truck on campus and I a falafel pita, Mm
4: -hmm. and so
10: that's what lunch
5: and it was.
4: Yeah, like, you know,
5: I eat Mediterranean twice a week. It's my fa- oh, and y'all got Trader Joe's. Y'all gotta get the pumpkin samosas. Cool. Get your oh. little chutney, yes. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
5: free game okay, okay. Right, listen, I'll talk to you about food all day <laughs> but we appreciate you all so 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 much we'll have all the links in the description box for all of the ladies where you all can purchase the book where you can get your copy of Eloquent Rage you should go back and listen to that episode of Getting Grown that's just a shameless plug yep. Kia do you have anything you want to take
2: us out with no I just love y'all thank y'all for coming Oh, thank you for so, having us so. thank you Audible proudly celebrates 50 years of hip hop, 50 years of culture that birthed the most prolific storytellers of our time. Respect the moment, respect the movement, celebrate storytellers. Hear brand new hip hop memoirs, podcasts, and exclusive musical performances on Audible free all summer long. Like new volumes from Audible's groundbreaking words and music series, including Snoop Dogg's From the Streets to the Suites, Yassine Bay's A Dynamic Career in Communications, DJ dramas Gangsta Grills featuring the mixtape legend in conversation with hip hop greats like Two Chains, Lil Wayne, Wiz Khalifa, GZTI, and Pharrell. Binge worthy audible original series like The Greatest Day that takes listeners inside the making of hip hop's greatest photograph. Double XL Magazine's iconic 1998 cover that saw over 100 of the day's greatest hip hop artists assemble for one legendary image. Chuck D's Can You Dig It? about how a gang peace treaty in the Bronx set the stage for the rise of hip-hop culture or The Motherload featuring hip-hop heavies like MC Light and Angie Martinez retracing the history and future of hip-hop through the lens of its most influential female contributors hear unforgettable hip-hop originals like these and more essential stories only on Audible listen free go to audible.com forever that's audible.com
8: forever Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod five zero for 50% off.
2: This is a very important and timely conversation around Mm -hmm. uh, HBCUs as organizations, HBCU giving, Mm -hmm. HBCU infrastructure. Um, and we have uh, some awesome panelists, some, some special mm-hmm. guests, uh, Nadreyu um, Njoku um, yes. of the United Negro College Fund and Professor mm-hmm. Felicia Commodore, who studies higher mm-hmm. education research at Old Dominion University. We'll be joining Jade and I. We're really going to dig into... Um, HBCUs I mean a deep dive into HBCUs Mm -hmm. as institutions not only of black culture but of American and American higher education more specifically and then we're going to even talk about the ways that we are supporting HBCUs currently and ways that we can sort of uh, level up that support a little bit Um, absolutely you know as, as these institutions are navigating systems that were not designed for their success so You ready to get into it, sis? I'm ready to get into it. It's a a fascinating conversation. Let's do it. Welcome back to the kitchen table, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) We are excited to bring you some exclusive content. It's been very ghetto this morning. Very ghetto. (laughs) It is the most ghetto of mornings. But we are here and we have what we need. We have finally gotten our... S-H-I-T together and we're going to have a conversation that's very important. And this is very meaningful to me. Okay, because we're talking about black things. We do that very often here at the kitchen table. We're talking about black things, black institutions, black people. Most specifically, we're here to talk about HBCUs. And it's homecoming season, so this is something that we do a lot. But we want to have, we want to sort of build out the conversation on HBCUs to talk about uh, HBCUs beyond the tailgate and and the football game and all of that. There's Mm -hmm. so much more to the HBCU experience, so much more to... HBCUs as institutions and for those of you who get excited when I get into my (laughs) my academic bag honey hold on to your wig because I'm down in the bag today and I have some friends okay Jade and I are joined by our friends Nadrea and Felicia two awesome amazing scholars also (laughs) in (laughs) higher education with me (laughs) (laughs) there we go We're having a party and they're here to get us together. Um, And so I'm going to have the ladies introduce themselves um, and then we'll get into the meat of the matter of why we're here. So Nadrea, please tell the people who you are.
1: Hello, people. Hi, Nadrea (laughs) and Joku here. And I am um, the interim director for the Frederick D. Patterson Research Institute at the United Negro College Fund. I am excited to be here. I am a proud, proud graduate of Xavier University of Louisiana. Yes. Which is located in New Orleans, Louisiana.
4: Oh, family!
1: (laughs) Me and Jay grew up and born and raised. I am from the Seventh Ward. Yes. And, um... Where the St. Aug boys be walking home. Where the St. Aug boys walk home. If you're from New Orleans, you know that there is something to watch. Oh, yes. We love to see the boys walk, don't we? Yes. And, um, I am truly homegrown I went to Xavier as an 8th grader uh, for summer camp and went there for summer school and summer camp until I enrolled at Xavier. Excited to be here uh, to talk about HBCUs. And we don't have football at Xavier, but we have (laughs) basketball. Yes, you do.
5: And you you have more food and delicious food in that city than most people can say that they have. Uh, like in time. multiple right exactly I mean, so ever. you know forget about that football nobody cares about right. that and, and, don't and go me to and the family no, oh. don't go
1: to a restaurant with me because I'm never satisfied
5: oh you're oh okay, okay. <laughs> yeah that's good to know yeah. <laughs> We're learning. We're learning. So I much. love it. And Andrea's family. She's she's from right around the corner from my sister. And so yes. we are really, really pleased to have you here at the kitchen table. We're going to get into a little bit more New Orleans talk later. Because yes. you know, I got to learn about some more beignets. I'm trying to hear about your favorite hot sausage spot. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just need to know all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, at, look at the eyes. I love when the people's ice. eyeballs get big. Lit
2: up like a Christmas tree, child.
5: But, please. Fee,
2: Fee, introduce Hi, yourself everyone. to the people, please. I am
11: Felicia Commodore. I currently am an assistant professor in higher education and community college leadership programs at Old Dominion University in Virginia. And um, one of the areas that I research or do my research in is looking at um, issues of leadership, governance, and administrative practices at historically black colleges and universities, so HBCUs. And so really just looking at um, things like presidential experiences, decision-making, um, how the institution actually runs and what are the resources and things that are needed so that HBCUs can continue to serve in excellence and be optimally performing institutions. So really excited. I feel like I'm a big girl now. I'm at the kitchen table. Um, super excited. I'm trying right. not to get kicked off the kitchen table because, yes. you know, we work really hard to get there. So. <laughs>
5: Oh, never. If anybody's going to be kicked off, it's going to be me, Felicia.
2: <laughs> never, ever kicked out of the kitchen table. All things are welcome here. This is where the family has all of our conversations. And we want to have a conversation about HBCUs because HBCUs have been in the news, honey. The girls mm-hmm. have been throwing their coins at the HBCUs. And we're not mad. No. We appreciate it. We just want to make but sure the
5: coins are... We want to talk about where the coins should be going. We
2: want to go, go a little bit deeper down yeah. into the coin purse, Okay, and not. let's talk about how these <laughs> coins are being allocated and given out. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta
4: have one of those
2: cigarette. That's today.
4: They were not <laughs> in the
2: in.
5: <laughs> or the little rubber one with the little slit that actually does look like a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: beads on it. The beads that fall off we As told you I was going to get very
5: black around the kitchen table everybody's <laughs> grandma I had
2: a beaded everybody's grandma I had a beaded coin purse with the clasp with the alligator clasp
1: we need that that's yes. cultural Bring we, we, back. We, want the, we want the coin purse that Mary, Mary uh McCloud mm-hmm. yes carried around mm-hmm. in and her purse. The donations. Yes. 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 coin purse. Is.
2: We're That's getting the down in it. We That's need... what we're gonna call this episode. <laughs> Mary McCloud Bethune's <laughs> coin purse. <Yes. laughs> we're down in the coin purse. Yes. <laughs> All right. Before we get down to the coin purse specifically, let's talk a little bit about HBCU yes, and HBCU history. So uh Nadrea, get us started. Let us know, uh, for those of you who, who may not know, right, people may think that HBCUs were, you know, uh, developed under other circumstances or conditions or because people wanted to. But there were there was a specific historical condition that, uh, you know, led to the development of these institutions. And then I'm going to have Felicia kind of bring us current day, like what that context means
1: for today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So HBCUs were started for a particular reason and circumstances because we had to. They Mm -hmm. were a specific innovation on a problem. And the problem was the fact that black people could not find education inside the walls of white, historically white, traditionally white institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, We have history in the Midwest where we have integrated institutions like Oberlin College, where you would find people who were former slaves enrolling in that institution and getting degrees. But in the South and the north Northeast, there were particular situations, we're very familiar with them, where we had to have our own way of educating. Mm-hmm. There are instances where creating those institutions cause rioting. They burn buildings down. They drag students out of the doors. But we have currently... 107 institutions that have survived or did survive those circumstances. Mm -hmm. And we call those historically black colleges and universities.
4: Mm,
2: I love to hear it. Mm -hmm.
1: Not Not
5: the
2: part. No, not the part. Yes, but we know. Okay. So Felicia, let us know what, given, given that, that context, that, that storied uh, origin of, of HBCUs, what does that mean for these institutions right. today so, in the so broader landscape of education? When we think
11: about education. what Nadrea shared and how and why HBCUs were founded, um, we see that that core mission of empowerment and offering access and opportunity to those who have been denied that opportunity in this country um, still flows through what they do today, right? And so HBCUs mm-hmm. not only um, service a large number of Black uh, collegiate students, but they also offer access to a lot of students, like first generation students, students from under-resourced communities, who may not have the ability to pursue higher education, not because they're not capable, but because there are these systems in place that create these barriers that make it hard for them to do so. And and they do so with a belief right in the empowerment of African-American students, and, and that is at the core of their mission, so they don't see Black bodies as a problem. Right. Which is important when we're thinking about how black students go through higher education. Um, and so these institutions are creating this access, serving students while well, getting students um, degrees and opportunities to transform their lives. But having to do so in a society that um, and, and I often put it this way in the same way that black bodies and black people have to navigate an anti-black society institutions, HBCUs have an institution identity that is linked with a racial identity. So they're not just colleges, they're black colleges. And they are black colleges that have to navigate funding models, uh, governments, politics that are ultimately at their core and foundation anti-black. And so that comes into play when they are trying to get money when they are trying to lobby for funding from their state legislatures, when they are trying to get philanthropists to be interested in um, investing in them, and also in the way that they're portrayed in the media and in general kind of conversation. And so they find themselves in this unique situation where they are these beacons of light for a lot of students and communities, but also have to navigate Kind of these deficit models and frameworks that are put on them, and where they're seen as less than when they are actually, in many instances, doing better than their predominantly white counterparts with black students and with these under-resourced students.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: Oh, like the black community? Oh, yes. Just like oh, the black yes. sounds. Just like the black I mean, community. A
2: mirror. Yeah. Wow. A I mirror understood even. everything you were saying. Absolutely. So happy. The same. The same ways that black people. Succeed despite, uh, you know, unlivable, unimaginable, unfathomable conditions. uh, These institutions have done the same. And as Felicia said, uh, HBCUs continue to outperform their predominantly white contemporaries and counterparts Mm -hmm. uh, along along many metrics of of sort of conventional institutional success. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I want to um, sort of, you know. Build upon this conversation by first giving some folks some insight into how money moves within the college structure. Oh, right. Yes. So people like like colleges and organ colleges and universities are a different kind of beast, right? They're not exactly corporations and they're not exactly nonprofits, mm-hmm. even though they are. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're 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 government, uh there's government um investitures in in many respects and folks on this and its tuition so there's a consumer um um element mm-hmm. so listen let's let's go let's go all the way back to the basics and think how does money move uh in in, in uh colleges and universities if we're thinking about tuition <laughs> you know if i have a That's scholarship a where
11: does that money go Um, it looks <laughs>
1: Go ahead <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think I, I think Felicia's gonna break down how it moves through the institution, but let me say this first. 3% HBCUs represent 3% of all higher education, and they graduate right. 70, 17% of bachelor's degrees from black years. So they're already overproducing. And 70% of HBCU enrolled students are Pell Grant eligible. Mm-hmm. So, Felicia is going to break down the money, but before she breaks down the money, I want everyone to know that the students that they're serving aren't necessarily capable of bringing a whole lot of money to the table. Amen. That's yes. a great point. Right. Thank so, you So, much. they are not necessarily the income drivers for tuition. They depend right. on a lot of resources, yes. not just from the federal government, but the institutions themselves to yes. supply the means and engine the engine to provide those students with education. So go ahead, Felicia.
11: Yeah. So, so I'm glad you you put that context out there. So there are various, I would say, pockets Thank you for when we think that. about institutions yeah. and how money moves. Um, a lot of times, the way it's presented us, right? It's like students pay money, and then that money runs the institution. That's not quite how it works, right? So there's tuition money, right? But then there's also what we call auxiliary money, which is money that is made from things like housing, um, having events on campus, charging people for rooms and things like that. Then you have was the kind of big um, thing in the room. that's the endowment. And the endowment is really kind of like the big piggy bank or the big savings and and I'm going to get to why that gets complicated. But so your, your tuition money can come also from very many different places. So tuition money can be money that these students' families pay out of pocket or the students pay out of pocket. These monies can come from loans. Those loans can come from the federal government. Those loans can also come from private institutions. Um, um, Organizations like Sally Mae, y'all, man, y'all know who Sally is, um, and you know uh, banks and things like this. Then, um, as Nadrea mentioned, right, we have um, HBCUs. There's a large population of students who are Pell Grant eligible. So these students, if you would think about it, Pell Grant is money that is provided by the government in order to support these students, um, or kind of is attached to these students that goes to the institution so the that's federal money that follows these students at once they enroll in these institutions they're supposed to go to the institution to help support what they do um auxiliary money usually is how institutions hbcus or otherwise are able to do a lot of the kind of the the bells and whistles that we see on campus because that money's a little more fluid um, housing and things like that. And so that's like if you look at when the pandemic happened, all these schools were scrambling because they weren't making money off of housing and having things on campus, things like that. Then you have the endowment, and this is where HBCUs um, usually find the most challenge because the endowment is money that has compounded and built over time from money that has been invested, donations, money that is given to the institution. The challenge with endowments though is that all Mm -hmm. that money is usually not fluid. So all of that money can't be touched or there are stipulations around the money. So when donors give money, they can say, I'm gonna get money, but you can only use that money to support students who have one brown eye and red hair and outside of that you can't touch that money and so um this become. but mm-hmm. that endowment is also the safety net <laughs> for institutions when they don't have um the tuition or enrollment that they needed to support the students when their auxiliary come, that that nest egg um becomes a support hbcus because of the historical ways they've been underfunded and the ways in which they have um Uh, the ways in which we have racially kind of given money, um, their endowments are much, much slimmer than their predominantly white counterparts. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is, whereas Harvard might have $300 or whatever per student, we're just throwing numbers out here, uh, HBCU may have $20 per student to spend. And so that translates into how many faculty can we hire? What, how, what you know? What what can we offer? What amenities can we offer? Um, all of these things. And so when we really think about money, we got to look beyond t- tuition because really tuition bar- is barely like using to keep the lights on, mm-hmm. right? Um, And HBCUs often try to keep their tuition reasonable Mm -hmm. because they know the students that they're serving. And so this creates that tension.
5: So essentially, you'll have a PWI with a playground that has all the bells and whistles and the slides and the seesaw and all the swings and everything else, a climbing apparatus. And then you'll have an HBCU and they give them a courtyard right. with a rubber ball.
11: And and that playground with all the bells and whistles was able to have those bells and whistles right. because 50 years ago, there was a family <laughs> who, gave, who bought that playground and paid for it. And they were like, we're not going to give a who playground to that black right. school. But we expect all the kids to be able to play. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. and and they pay yeah. for the they pay for the monkey bars <laughs> and charge everybody in the community yeah. admission to get the money bars, get <laughs> to the monkey bars so the monkey bars yes. have been making them money mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and they didn't cost them anything mm-hmm. um and just to sort of give you some context of, around this conversation of endowment like harvard's check clocked in at like 53.2 billion dollars this fiscal year. Billion dollars. 53 billion dollars compared to an HBCU which may or may not have a million dollar endowment. Mm-hmm. And that's a real that's a that's a reality that's not a dramatization. that, mm-hmm. that is that is a reality.
1: Right. You said 3 billion for Harvard. 53 53 the billion largest HBCU one of the largest HBCU endowments is Spelman College, and they just have just over three hundred mm. million. I think it rounds about three seventy-five. So what? That's I'm not going to even try to do math, but that's the the one of the largest endowments. And you have to just go down the ladder and, for and the institutions ma- right. that are HBCUs mm, that right, have less right. resources to give their institutions. And endowments endowments mean that you know you get more attention as well.
11: Yeah, Mm -hmm. because
1: wealth begets Mm -hmm. wealth, right?
11: Like, we remember that, right? Um, And and, and I think, again, the important piece is, right, there's an expectation that HBCUs are to produce the same quote-unquote outcomes
2: that that Harvard is. With their rubber ball and the grass in the lot. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and so and so, what we are saying mm-hmm. is if we think about more recent investments in HBCUs in the ways of these scholarships, I have just been in my own little way on my own little soapbox saying that if we think about these scholarships, if we bring it back to this rubber ball, I mean, we think about this playground analogy, right? Tuition monies is just saying I'm going to pay for these students to get to the lot
4: hmm.
2: I'm not going to make sure the lot has anything in it. I'm literally going to <laughs> pay these students way to get to the lot mm-hmm. when I could be using mm-hmm. my money to buy some monkey bars. And just trick this lot out. Mm-hmm. And so, if we think about this conversation, and think about you know other other conversations we've had around change and transformation and incremental change, quick mm-hmm. and dirty change, things that people can do right quick to sort of you know uh, give the appearance that they have made a long term investment in in equity and in, in social justice, we if we really take a hard look into the coin purse, okay, the monies are not really being distributed in ways that are going to move us past this charity and into sort of transforming the ways Mm -hmm. we think about how anti-black institutions, I mean, how, how black institutions have to navigate Mm -hmm. an anti-black space, society,
1: society. I'm going to go into what Takia just talked about really quick. I think the biggest thing that we need to look for when we and I have a Twitter thread about this, like all the different donations Mm -hmm. that we see coming through the news. When we look at Reed Hastings and his donation of 30 million to Spelman, 30 million to Morehouse, 30 million to UNCF, and then you think about Mackenzie Scott. And her pledge to give all of her wealth away—she's giving billions away at this point—and a large amount of that is going to HBCUs. When you think about these donations, the big thing you want to think about is: are they donating on a restricted or unrestricted basis? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
4: that's
1: so, it. when you're talking about restricted, that's the my eyes are brown. I got I write with my left yeah. hand and I skip with my right. Yeah, and only you can get that <laughs> money if I when only if I major
2: in like you know basket
1: weaving. Right. Basket weaving or cyber yeah. you know security. security oh yeah but when you're talking about Mackenzie, scott gave her money on an unrestricted basis meaning she gave them that money and they said what they would do she did not determine for them how her wealth would mm-hmm. be spent and that is the key Mackenzie mm-hmm. is not determining she's not saying as a a philanthropist. I'm going to tell you how I think you should spend money. Right. She's giving the institutions the freedom to distinguish what they can best use those monies for. I think that there are obviously agreements on the transparency of that, you know, but there was no negotiating and no writing on a dotted line so that they could get the money. You know, it was how can we use it? And I think. And
11: I'll, and I'll, add, and I'll add to that. Another thing, because when we see these stories where people are like, you know, I think Howard just got a $5 million gift from somebody or somebody gets, these. another thing you need to look at is what is the giving plan over time, right? Because, you, you know, Mackenzie Scott gave that money, but she also gave most, almost 100% of it immediately, mm-hmm. right? Whereas some people will say, oh, I'm going to give this school a $10 million gift over 30 mm. years mm. right so that they yes they got a 10 million dollar gift but that gift is not available that 10 million dollars is not available it's like giving
5: a post-dated check
1: um, as a, you. Like,
11: <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> exactly or
1: I'm going to give it I'm going to give it with mm-hmm. a carrot mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm going to give it, some right. now mm-hmm. and let me see how y'all do mm-hmm. should have been quicker than that you know, And so right. what does that say uh-huh. about the trust uh-huh. of your right
11: gift? the trust that these institutions know what they need to do mm-hmm. with their money Mm. Right. And that is a big challenge in that when we think about giving um, and and when I say right, navigating these anti-black sentiments in the same way that, you know, people want, you know, we talk about reparations. Mm. Well, black people don't go, you know, buy cool cigarettes (laughs) and whatever. And Jordan. Mm. Right. Mm And it's like or we could trust black people. To do know what to do with the money that they need to do for their families and whatever. It's the same with black schools. Like, I want to give them money, but I don't trust that these people know what to do with their money. And that's problematic.
5: That is problematic. Mm. So is it often that they'll give money and then they'll split it up over time? Is that like a more common thing? Yeah
11: is more common in general not just at HBCUs mm-hmm. that when people give very large gifts like that it is spread out over time cuz there's only probably like, what like 1% of the 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 country mm-hmm. that has 10 million dollars right. drop right. off right <laughs> right <laughs> so so most people i um, spread it out over time
5: I was just going to say I don't cuz I don't have much more after this uh, oh God, I, don't, I don't know much about this algebra um I just because what I'm seeing with these donations a lot of times, like you said, it's this. Or they'll say, okay, well, we're going to pay the tuition of 10 students. Mm-hmm. We're going to give this money to pay the tuition of 10 students. And that's kind of like, that's where the money is going. Who is donating to these... Infra- like, who's do- who's donating to some of these raggedy-ass cafeterias right. I've seen in which, you know, they juice machines don't work and they don't have proper nutrition. But then you go across the street... And the PWI has a jamba juice. Like, where's there's no balance there.
11: So, so I I don't know if it's who who is giving to that as much as or who's not distributing it properly as well. Right. So, so I think when you see things like capital improvements, right, like that's a fancy word for like fixing Mm -hmm, up the
1: cafeteria, mm -hmm.
11: right, and things like that. Um, a lot of that is money that is generated from either, um, you might get, um, a board of trustee that can go out mm-hmm. and get, you know, someone to, to invest a donor or alumni donation. But uh, some of that is just money that is generated as income from the endowment mm-hmm. because the endowment makes money. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is why mm-hmm. these things are important. Um, but also it becomes, um, when we think about who hbcus are serving when they do get these donations like a McKenzie scott donation mm-hmm. or these donations they're thinking about what can have the most impact on their campus right away and often that is helping these students mm-hmm. pay their their debt so they right. can graduate because right. a lot of them are not i would not say a lot there's a number of them not graduating just because they owe money mm-hmm. right, right. And so what happens, though, right, is that narrative goes out, right? Mm. We see the Robert Smith, I'm going to pay for all these students. So we saw that a number of schools use the Mackenzie Scott donation and the CARES Act money to help people pay their bills. Right. So then what happens, though, is then that then that narrative is like, oh, that's what they need. They need the students. The students need money. And so it, it creates this like cyclical thing. Mm. But really what happened is that school made a decision that that you know what would, would create the most impact. So so there are people that give, right, to in unrestricted ways. I think it's very rare though that you get huge unrestricted gifts. Mm.
2: And I think that's because people don't know that 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 they can um right. you know contribute in these <laughs> ways, which leads me to a conversation around like, you know, alumni giving or those of us who I, like I've not even Ever graduated from an HBCU, but have uh, made a donation or a gift, um, you know, to HBCU. Are there ways that folks, um, like regular, regular folks like us, yeah. can can contribute to to sort of addressing this problem? um either by our resources or can we make enough noise <laughs> such right. that some of this other movie other other money can move move differently
4: right yeah.
11: so so yeah absolutely um I'm a person too I did not graduate from HBCU but most of my family did and mm-hmm. and I grew up on um HBC campuses particularly Delaware State University go hornets mm-hmm. Um, I, so I give to HBCUs and, and I think we think that we have to give these huge gifts, but Mm -hmm. your $10, $50, a hundred dollars unrestricted, like giving to the annual fund or whatever Mm -hmm. that is, you know, if you do that four times a year, that's consistent money that's consistently coming in, which can Mm -hmm. be really helpful because it creates a flow, right. As opposed to this, these big hits, right. So though, even though, Those little things are important Um, for those who may not have, right, like disposable income to be, you know, given away to anybody. um, Mm. I often say, right. And I know a lot and there are a number of people who don't trust the the election system and all these things. But for public HBCUs specifically, but even private HBCUs because they get federal money. Um, mm-hmm. It is important that these are questions we ask the people we are I mean, trying to elect. This. Places, right? Mm-hmm. So I always right. say this: um, governors of states um, appoint boards of trustees members for public institutions. State legislatures make budgets. We very rarely—I've been to a billion debates, and maybe once have I ever heard anyone ask these candidates, "How do you? What do you think about fun- the funding of HBCUs?" Mm -hmm. How would you approach appointing a board member to an HBCU board? What do you see Mm -hmm. the role of HBCUs in the state economy? And how are you going to support them in order that they can continue to to perform that role? We don't ask that question. But then then we elect Mm -hmm. these people into the positions of power where they get to make these decisions about how much money these schools Mm -hmm. get, what kind of supports they're getting, how we're going to evaluate, quote unquote, them and hold them accountable. But we don't ask those questions before we put those people in those positions of power. And so even raising up a stink and saying those things or bringing to attention um, that there is different funding, right? A lot of that information is public knowledge. We just don't talk about it. Um, And so it is sometimes just making noise and asking questions that people are not asking.
5: So if I wanted to send a donation, I know we kind of touched on it a little bit. but I wanted to ensure that I'm not donating to the Salvation Army of HBCUs right. where don't know we don't know where nothing's going. We don't know if this is really benefiting the students. Is that the way, what you just said, in which we should make our donations? Where it will actually, where the school will actually say and the students will actually benefit from it and the staff and faculty and all of that? <laughs> That's
11: a, oof, oof, Jay. you're going to give me a tricky, <laughs> tricky question. Sorry. Oh. Uh, so, <laughs> I think the, right, this goes back to the do we trust institutions to know Mm -hmm. what they need to do with their money, right? And that's really Mm -hmm. hard because we are socialized in a society that's like, I need to see a return on my investment, which is why a lot of people do Mm -hmm. scholarships, right? Because when I see the student graduate, then I feel like, okay, I know my money did what it was supposed to do. Um, And so there is a little bit of, disease because you're going to give your money to the institution mm-hmm. and you're going to have to trust mm-hmm. that they're gonna with that going to do it but what places. i what i can say mm-hmm. you can do i mean there are usually at institutions you can check off there's usually different places you can say you want your money to go whether that's the athletics whether that's to you know student you know you know financial aid or things like that so you can kind of You know, say that or you can give to the annual fund um, and -hmm. it be unrestricted. But I think that doesn't mean that you can't also engage with the institution. Right. So Mm -hmm. there are some privileges to being a donor. Um, You you can check in on the institution, not in a like, let me call you up, call development up and be like, what y'all doing with my $10? I need a report every month. right? But it is like, oh, what are y'all doing? What are the things that the institution is doing? How are y'all helping students? All these things. I know when I donate to institutions, I usually now get their like alumni magazine. I get little letters from the president when things are come, you know, happening. Mm -hmm. And so there is a way to stay engaged and still ask questions. But I do think we—it's hard, but we have to believe Mm -hmm. that these institutions know and their leadership knows what to do, and with with our with Mm -hmm. our money and with what they need to do for their students. Um, and I think that you can sometimes kind of, you can check the track record of an institution and how they, how you've Mm -hmm. seen them grow over time with donations and things like that and Mm -hmm. and build trust. But, um, yeah, it's a little tricky. I don't know. You can't, you can't trace your $10. Like you're not going,
2: (laughs) that's real. That's real. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I do think social media and the Internet and, you know, just I think there is a culture at, at universities where where folks are are open to yeah. engaging with the public around around certain things, mm-hmm. uh, especially with respect to sort of improving institutional conditions. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, my work deals directly with uh, faculty hiring, faculty development, policy reform, um, those kinds of things. And um, those are that's really sort of like the underbelly of mm-hmm. <laughs> cuz people always always take mm-hmm. that kind of stuff for granted mm-hmm. like you know they take for granted that that like all the money that's required in sort of uh ensuring that college faculty because what we don't understand like you know when you go and get your PhD in physics you're taught everything you need to know about physics but you're not really always trained around how to manage a classroom or how right. to you know you know how to make sure that <clears throat> You know, you are not being uh, offensive or, you know, biased or a bigot, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. so like, you know, there's there are some things. And I mean, you know, and then there are ways that, you know, supremacy and institutionalized racism have infiltrated these systems and and now need to be reformed. And so Mm -hmm. there's funding around that as well. And so what we've been seeing in the reform space is that institution will have alum to sort of ask diversity kind of questions mm-hmm. around, you know, what are what are the number uh, of, of, of faculty of color that you've hired in the last 10 years um, and then you can sort of dig into why or why not and that can sort of you know uh, elevate some things on, on some uh, agendas at the institutional level um, and also sort of like you know we live in an age of op-eds and think pieces and things like that if hmm. we've been following and paying attention to the protests and things that are going on right now at Howard mm-hmm. you know when 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 there are needs and, and the you know those squeaky wheels are squeaking right and so if we we don't really have to look that far to really see where uh you know resources uh can can be used at at these institutions um, so I think. We do, we might have to do a little bit of digging Mm -hmm. or be a little bit of, be a bit more intentional in terms of, you know, the ways in which we want to invest. But I definitely Mm -hmm. think that there is a will in a way, but I think that it really starts first with having a conversation and and saying what it is, right? And so... That's what I wanted to do here. We don't want to say right. that scholarships are not important or not useful no. or that we don't appreciate them. No, we absolutely need folks to continue to invest in our students. But I'm saying that if we don't continue to invest in our institutions in like manner,
4: mm-hmm. then the scales because, will continue to be unbalanced.
2: They've been
11: imbalanced um, so far that. You know, we're we're putting money, money in the students and that's great, but we need like it's not either or, right? It's both and we need to put money in the students, but Is these institutions again are being asked to carry a lion's share. Well, not even asked, they're offering to, to carry a lion's share of work that these other well endowed institutions won't do, right? And produce at the same rate, though mm-hmm. they're they're working with barriers and trying to jump and leap over barriers that have compounded over time and so now we're like oh let's give Mm -hmm. 40 billion dollars to hbcus well yeah but let's look at what happened when we didn't give them 40 billion dollars 60 years ago right like (laughs) what is that now like we we it's compounded over time and now they're trying to play catch up um but Mm -hmm. we need the the resources to give them that that undergirding, so that st- we, if we had the money mm-hmm. for the infrastructure and the endowment, we wouldn't have to make tuition the price that is, as we we have to give students scholarships, right? right? Like it's the right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's
2: right. Yeah. yeah right we can right. keep so the it's prices lower end. we and can serve invest in people students. but
11: we can mm-hmm. also invest um, in systems and mm-hmm. in communities right in the same way we do with people we need to give people jobs but we also need to give people good housing and health care and all these things so we need to give students money to go to school but we need to also be and able to make food. sure that they have the resources they need in order to flourish at those
5: schools yes so you're decent saying food. so food. let me understand food. this um, let me make sure i understood this properly if I don't, ha- if I'm not a person who has extra money to donate to an HBCU directly, the best way for me to help support, or one of the best ways, should I say, for me to help support that HBCUs in general, would be speaking on a governmental level. Is what you're saying, like bringing up some of those issues there. How else can we? Who don't have extra money to donate immediately? Yeah, so I think there's HBCUs. that way.
11: There's just general like advocacy, right? And not and not in a like you got to go out there yeah. and rally people, but just lifting up the great things that hbcs are doing because the media often only highlights when they're not doing good things right or they focus on a subset of institutions Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um ones that they're most comfortable with
4: right and so
11: lifting up when you know and i know you from houston the the lifting up when prairie view is doing something good or texas southern is doing something good lifting up you know, mm-hmm. um, when they're doing things that aren't homecoming and marching bands, even though we love all of that, right?
5: Right. Yeah, but that's very one, one, one tunnel, one
2: vision. One small thing. Yeah, one small aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
11: And so cre- using, using whatever platform you have, whether that's your social media, um, mm-hmm. you know, doing things like you all are doing with the show, just giving them platform and giving opportunity for the schools to speak mm-hmm. for themselves right, <laughs> and to be able to show like all things they're doing, which can attract the attention mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. that can so invest
2: in them. Telling the whole story. Um, so I, think, so I think having this conversation about right. contextualizing HBCUs Like, you know, thinking about HBCUs are doing so well, Mm -hmm. but they're doing so well despite all of these things. Mm -hmm. People don't want to talk about all of the things that HBCUs have had to overcome Mm -hmm. and, you know, how they are overcoming those things and producing despite, you know, helping to change the narrative is really what, uh, you know, is is going to make the biggest difference because we have got to, like uh, Felicia said, elevate on the narrative and get people to really understand the whole story so that Mm. investors folks with the money will know where to put it. Yes. That's, that's, that's it right there.
11: And, and giving them the opportunity to tell their story because there have been people who feel that they have to become the, you know, savior um, speaker box and savior for HBCUs that don't work at them, that aren't authentically connected to them. Right. Um, and so they decide what the story of these schools is going to be. And I think, again, empowering um, uh, the, the people who are doing the work and on the campuses, um, giving them the opportunity to tell their own story is also really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being careful not to tell their story for them, but to hand them a microphone.
2: Yes. Yeah.
4: And I a stage
5: that.
2: and mm-hmm. a hand up mm-hmm. onto the stage as opposed yeah. to. You know, well, but I yeah, want to
5: donate and get the juice machine fixed. At... We've got to do something because I keep hearing yeah, about this. Juice... The children need juice. okay, and the children needs, needs, but that's so what much. I know right now. And I say, How can I get you all a new juice machine? <laughs> like, what <laughs> I really want to know how to do that. <laughs> so I'm like, I... Look, I'm sure if you called the school, I not, lying.
11: I'm, I'm and not... Was like, Yeah.
5: I want to get a new juice machine, or at least Damn. somebody in there to fix it. I got a million niggas I know who fix shit. I'm <laughs> fine with getting the juice machine fixed for you all.
9: We have yeah, got I'm to telling to do you, something. people people
5: make some of the stuff hard.
11: Now, if you call somebody over at the development or somebody, it'd be like, I want. What can I we would do like about this? To to
5: immediately following this episode, <laughs> like and I'm going to help. report back. Actually,
11: <laughs> <laughs> I would
5: like to help. I would like to. I want to help. Tell like me what you know. need For the juice machine The children need the juice I heard they ain't got no juice And <laughs> <Yes. they didn't, laughs>
2: So Platform matters Platform matters And yes. having Having um, You know And y'all talk Y'all laugh at my microphone But the message Just needs to be it's Amplified It's true amplified. <laughs> We must amplify the message.
5: (laughs) If we have a million microphones across America, we might be
2: able to get some shit done. (laughs) And we need to get some things done. Um, We just want to have a broader conversation, right? Because as as you said, Felicia, it's homecoming season and we love to see it. It's a beautiful time. Um, of coming together that that we've been robbed of in yes. recent years and times and so it's awesome to see folks reconnecting. It's awesome to kind of celebrate tradition in yeah. the ways that we know um, you know yeah. feed our spirits. Um, but we we also need to understand that that um, you know it's there are some in order for us to continue to sustain these very important cultural um, traditions we have got to make sure that the house is, remains standing. Absolutely. Um, and so it was really important to me that beyond a conversation about homecoming, mm-hmm. we have a broader conversation about HBCUs, all of the wonderful many things that they have done in mm-hmm. um, ways that they have invested uh, and, and built into the the bedrock of excellence that black yeah. people stand on. Um uh, in this country you know, in this like, world globally but in yeah, this country specifically
11: HBCUs have been the engine Period. of transformative education in higher yeah. education we Easily. just have not put them up as models of success but everything Absolutely. we talking about stuff now that HBCUs do or doing for been
2: decade, doing, been mm-hmm. doing right? um, and I say that some, as someone in the reform space right who who engages with folks whose minds are blown by these strategies, right? And it's like, girl, we've been doing this at Big Mama's house for
4: 40 <laughs> generations.
2: And you are just now getting here to the bus. Yeah. You, you're you late.
11: Late.
2: I mean, but... Okay, so I have one more question. Go for <laughs> it.
5: Felicia. Yes, my You mommy? grew up... On HBCU campuses, you said you grew up mm-hmm. around HBCU campuses. You have a deep rooted foundation um, from childhood. Mm-hmm. What is one of your favorite memories and/or stories <laughs> that that is involved with an HBCU? It can be from oh. any time in your life.
11: That's great. So we we'll we we'll, we'll bypass the things that happened when I was an undergrad because okay, oh I, my, that's my business. But That's okay. <laughs> That's it Tabitha Brown. We'll do the um, <laughs> more family-friendly version. But I... Um, Come on. Now I want to know the other stuff. No, go I mean, ahead. we uh, talk about that after, the, after we leave the table. So, but um, I had a good time. <laughs> good time. But um, <laughs> for um, me... So this is one of my my favorite memories. So my um, my aunt, my mom's sister worked in the admissions office at Delaware state university. And so, um, and my sister attended Delaware state university. And so in the summer, um, because, you know, black parents don't be hiring babysitters. They just find people to watch their kids. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) my sister Mm -hmm. would be going (laughs) to school in the summer. Um, and so my mom worked, my dad worked, my other sister was working. Um, and so, my aunt would watch me. My sister would bring me to campus and drop mm-hmm. me off at my aunt's office. I don't know if this was legal mm-hmm. or not, but we're just going to go with it. She's <laughs> retired, so it doesn't matter now.
1: Come but, on. I, <laughs> take Felicia to work there. Yes. yes.
11: So I would go to her office. And so what she would do, she would set up this little desk for me. I was about seven or eight. She'd set up a little okay. desk for me, and I would be her secretary. And I had a, I I had a little phone that phone wasn't connected to nothing, but I thought it was. And so yes. I was, I would call her and give her messages that didn't exist and take <laughs> notes for her. And she let me make copies on the copy machine. And so I was, I was the secretary in the admissions office. Um, <laughs> I again, love that. I love that so, um, much. And so that's one of my favorite memories of being on campus and being, being in that office. Um,
5: uh, and Which is so foundational. Look at the age. That's such a transitional, <laughs> hey. and like you know, really like an age where stuff really starts to yeah. set in. So I know that had to have an impact on you. Look at your love and your knowledge that so, you had. Yeah, I tell too. people
11: I just, they put me on Couch Campus and I refuse to leave. And so
5: <laughs> haven't left. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, <that's
11: laughs>
4: one of my favorite memories. Absolutely,
5: yeah. I love that. We're so grateful for you. And, and just a disclaimer: uh, Nadrea had to go take care—very of very important she's business. An important person. Yes, she's um, she's a very she's
1: important, very important
2: person, person there. So we appreciate uh, her for joining us for the time that she was able to, and, and we'll absolutely include her information. And she's already emailed me and said she's gonna have to come back to the table so she oh, can yeah. talk about. She wants to talk very loudly about Louisiana <laughs> with you. Oh yes. <laughs> And, and we will have a, a we will have a high time. It will be amazing. Um, but, yeah, I am grateful to to all of you, to Nadrea, to to uh, very Felicia. So. Very, very grateful because this is something that has important, been important to me. And that's y'all know for the last couple of years I've been on my change versus <laughs> transformation, cheap change versus expensive change. <laughs> Uh, sort of, sort of kick for the last few uh, few years, and this is something that is really important to me uh, because we have got to start to move yeah. the needle, right? Absolutely. And we've got to start, we got to stop making these little adjustments. Mm-hmm. We really need to just blow the whole thing up mm-hmm. and start. And it thank fresh.
11: you both Absolutely. for and using think- your platform. To talk about these things because everybody doesn't necessarily do that, and so um, I, I appreciate you kind of again cur- curating a, using the stage you have to to help bring
2: these institutions to light. we're trying to do our little part here you know, in just, whatever little ways that we can, and I'm um, grateful for you all because.
5: I'm not in a academic space, as everyone knows. I say that probably every other episode <laughs> and but I'm grateful because I, I might not otherwise be having some of these conversations in all honesty, so it's nice to be able to bring these to light so that maybe I can go forward and share it with some of my other community who might not be having these conversations, and we can extend this <laughs>
6: hands across
5: America. Shout out to my eighties <laughs> <80s> baby <babies.
4: laughs> hands across you know, black we're America. <laughs>
1: with all of the German
2: (laughs) Germans across America (laughs) that's where we are because uh, everybody okay. don't know how to Ugh. sneeze and We're cough. Not touching sneeze. any hands. Mm, you're right. You won't. But you're right. But you know what but I, I mean. mean. <laughs> even as a mom, like you know, we don't That's know right. where ASAP know Knows going to end up we in don't. the world. It's very important that we start to think about these things. And I think it's important now because thankfully hasn't always been the case where Black folks have had the resources and the platform to sort of do the things that we do right now.
5: Absolutely. And so
2: I just think it would be so amazing, like you know, Jay Z and Beyonce being the massive. Moguls that they are mm-hmm. in their own right. The fact that they are drumming up attention for HBCUs is amazing. It is. And I just we want to build upon that momentum and just sort of say, hey, while all, while y'all are throwing your money at the students, <laughs> don't forget the juice
1: machine. Don't forget
2: because, the juice machine. There, enough juice machine. These people have <laughs> enough the wealth ju- yeah. to do. There's both. so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I would and I believe, especially in the way, uh, you know, black folks, you know, I believe it's just a matter of not having yeah. access to the information. Mm-hmm. I believe in yes, my heart absolutely. that if folks understood how these things, how how inequity and, and what we really are getting a, a, a bigger understanding of how white folks and white supremacy has been able to operate mm-hmm. in institutional ways.
5: Absolutely. We
2: think that it has been limited to Jim Crow's and buses, but we have to understand that it is in laws and policies and systems and structures. That seeps
5: into all aspects of our lives, including Absolutely. education. Jim, yeah.
11: Jim Crow had kids Hell yeah. and built towns okay. and okay. built
2: communities yes, indeed. that continue to replicate mm-hmm. themselves. For sure. And so we love to see it. So like recently, Will Packer announced that he he's uh creating yeah. a new amphitheater there at FMU. Yes. That's the kind of that's the kind of energy that, that we that we're talking
11: I'm about. I'm getting the
5: juice machine fixed that yes, Howard
2: that- <laughs> in
11: all of these and look and look, Jay, don't feel like you got to fix the juice machine yourself. You you better call Dole or somebody. Oh, you and, call and Dole. No, that was gonna be the next step.
5: I'm not dumb. But I'm getting that motherfucking juice machine fixed. Sorry, juice. Target. You <laughs> um, got to call Coca-Cola.
11: Yeah. And, and if to call you need, McDonald's. you tell them and I would like uh Jade of All Jade's on yes. the on the juice machine. I'm on or-
5: <laughs> now very I will say this. This when I'm rich, when, okay? When um, not yet rich. Bitch, but, but on my way. But on my way. Okay, we're on our way there, Lauren Hill style. Um, I. <laughs> <laughs> I pl- I want to make a plan and partner up with some of, some of these rich people in America For sure. to specifically since culinary is 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 my love, right? I want you I want the babies to learn. I want your books to be new. I want whatever you need. I want the teachers to be paid properly so that they're not leaving and having to go find other things to take care of their families. But I want these children to have proper nutrition. And I see how they do at PWIs and I think that's such an important aspect. I know that's not mm-hmm. everything, but it's important to me. And so I would like to create some sort of system in which I go across all every HBCU across America Absolutely. and we we fix the infrastructure of the of the nutritional of the I cafeteria. Love this, James. I would that's love to saying. make that a plan. I would love I mean, to do that. And that us, would be my contribution.
4: Us,
2: yes. If all of us found our own unique ways to make contributions to the change purse. We could change the world. Word. That's what I'm trying to say. Word. And it's and 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 it will be scholarships and books and buildings. It will be scholarships and dormitories and library libraries. It will be scholarships and and faculty lines. I want to mm-hmm. you know let's invest in making sure that we're hiring. You know. Have we, has your department, the department that you graduated from or your institution, have they hired a new faculty person in the last 12 Mm. years? Mm. What color is that person? Mm. These are the kinds of questions that we need to be asking I mean, not just waiting on other people to, to sort of, to ask and do. And, and so that's all we yeah. were hoping and, and to and open I'll up in this, this conversation. And i say this too, because
11: I think sometimes we get caught up, and I'm not going to get into the, the PWI HBC thing, because mm-hmm, ain't nobody got mm-hmm. time for that silliness. But oh, I know. But I think sometimes we get caught up, well, you know, I ain't go there. I ain't go to school. Why should I get yeah. my hand? What I tell people, particularly us, is um, mm-hmm. particularly black <laughs> folks, you can't sit in front of me and tell me that you are pro-black, that you you believe in supporting black people, that you believe in the power of, of black folks and communities. And then tell me you don't see the benefit or value investing in these institutions, not just the students, sure. but the institutions, because mm-hmm. these institutions don't just serve as places of higher learning. They're community centers. They are sanctuaries for people mm-hmm. in communities where they may be unsafe or feel unsafe uh, as black people. They mm-hmm. are political uh, um, places of political uh, coordination and planning and activism. And so if you tell me that you believe in black communities, Then I have to believe that you believe in the investment in HBCU. I tell people Mm. all the time, I learned to swim at HBCU. I went to summer programs at HBCUs. Mm. That campus literally was a place for me as a black kid to go and learn things and and mm-hmm. be develop into a certain type of young black adult so it's not mm-hmm. even just about the students that go there but the communities that these institutions the people that work there the the the, the, yeah. the, the cafeteria workers every these these are mm-hmm. engines of black collective economics if we think about it in that way right mm-hmm. and so you know We really, I really encourage if you say you support black people and black communities and black empowerment, then you should be investing in HBCUs in in whatever way that is possible for you to do that.
5: Absolutely. Invest in places for your children to go in the future. You want it to be the best possible, right? Not, so. your, not just your kids. Our, Our kids. kids. Our kids. Our kids. Our right. kids. Whoever, you may not decide to have kids, but you, there's going to be a black child yeah. who's going to grow up into an adult yes. and your ass is going to get old and you're going to need to make yes. sure that they're good. Yes.
2: So. We, all have, we all have a responsibility. Absolutely. We all have. Um, and then it's very, it's very important. I mean, and I'm we're not going to get into it, but I, I would like to say, since I have the microphone, <laughs> amen, that uh, I think that the whole HBCU versus PWI debate is Dumb. such a it's distraction. Silly. Yeah. I think that it wastes our time and our resources and our energy Yeah, because the fact of the matter is, you know. Black people and black institutions are all situated in this white system that was not designed for us to success, to succeed. And it's just a matter of us navigating that, that unhealthy toxic system. We all have to do it in our own way and we all didn't go about it in the same way. Absolutely. And if your path brought you through a HBCU, then God bless you. Mm-hmm. If if your path did not bring you through a HBCU, then God bless you. We still all on the other side of this thing trying to figure out how to stay alive Ooh, in America. Said. Absolutely. And so and so I wish. And I mean, you know, I I'm, I'm all for a good healthy rivalry. I'm not opposed, you know, but I just feel like when we get down into the trenches of Twitter Arguing and fussing over who had the best freshman year experience, girl. It's like, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, sis, okay, right. we all are paying the same mortgages. We, we're okay. all trying to stay alive. So, girl, Everybody okay, girl. Everybody got a phone girl, bill.
1: Like, <laughs> Okay. Like- God bless. We
2: all all need
11: to be fighting together against the system instead of fighting mm -hmm. each other over Mm -hmm. mm, something that really (laughs) do not It's silly. I'm going to say it is silly. It's silly. And we we don't have time for silliness.
2: we don't I, we don't because the world is on fire Woo. and we got to put it out but listen Felicia we love you love you so too much. Nadrea. we love you too Nadrea thank you thank you so to you much. both for
5: taking time out of your day oh, sitting yeah, this with is us S here me the highlight thank you to of my Target day. <laughs> the Oh and the highlight of mine too honestly
0: <laughs> highlight yeah and I
2: mean thank you thank you for allowing us and, and Jay, thank you for allowing us to get down in our yeah. academic bag No, Enjoying
5: I like getting us. down there with you all I'm going to come down too well, I, I, I <laughs> want to say,
11: Jay, about everything I do at Academy I, I take the posture of Erica Badu That scholar, street scholar yes. And that mm-hmm. um, when she says street What scholar. good do your words do if they can't understand you? And so at the end of the yeah. day no, Nothing we do makes means anything If nobody can understand what we're talking about
5: that, that is that is actual and factual actually because yes. <laughs> and when people get up there and get to posturing i'm like you're not yes. doing a service to the community you're not you're <laughs> not
2: you're not, you're not. You're not. so i appreciate I you all got. for
5: breaking this down yes. um, to the point where 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 we can understand in layman's terms that uh the history of hbcu is the history <laughs> of black people in this country and Period. the issues that we face within this country and have continued to face um that's what all of that is rooted in and why a lot of times we can't get the proper support, but we're not here to talk about the negative about it. We, like Kia said, we're here to talk about how we can assist Mm -hmm. because this is our community. This is part of our community. So I'm super grateful to you and Nadrea for coming through and helping to break that down a little bit. And thank you to target for sponsoring this ad free episode, bonus episode of getting grown. We're super grateful for that. For and Felicia, sure. we're going to gonna have to to come back
11: yeah, to the I'm kitchen here. table. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to talk. I have a pet peeve ready. Well, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you coming
5: back
2: then. It's happening. It's going down. It's Lit. going down. Yeah, so, and, so, oh, and another
5: thing you all have hit me, too, that I've realized, thanks to Kia, um, is that th- this big academia world that, you know, a lot of us may have initially been intimidated by. Um, a lot of you hoes are ratchet. I've realized. Very much. You know what I'm saying. Y'all are some, and I love it. I mean that with all the love. You gotta that's come not to at a all. conference, Jade. <laughs> I'm
4: on the. Gotcha. Oh, I'm coming, Jade and to I'm gonna Ash,
11: lead some shit down. too. <laughs> Jade at the Ash campaign. So you can see Bring me
5: through.
11: I'll wear a blazer. <laughs> Whatever y'all need me to do. <laughs> we don't even we wear, don't wear, wear blazers. Okay. <laughs> well, I might wear a blazer, but I'm a different kind yes, of... Yes, <laughs> well,
2: you know, Felicia's going to come to the function in a brooch. <laughs> Let me
5: tell you something. Felicia is Auntie Supreme, a and little, I live shiny.
2: But I can get I down with my brooch, she she is, She's in charge of the brooch <laughs> department. If we're looking for someone to manage... The department for she's brooches. A little sometimes call
5: you
2: know. Doctor Commodore. Doctor Commodore is on brooch <laughs> detail. She's on brooch detail every time. All right, y'all. Thank y'all. Yes,
5: thank you so
3: much. This is a big year.
8: Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off.
2: Oh my goodness. We are back for the kitchen table. Uh, Friends, I have to tell you that this is a bit of a milestone for me because um, this is a person that I probably, y'all hear me quote this person probably just as much as I quote my mom and my grandma
4: <laughs> Yes <laughs> I'm
2: always saying uh, Dr. Frisbury says um, And today's the day that i get to share this space and i get to share one of my favorite people some two of my favorite people with with the getting grown family so i would like to welcome to the kitchen table dr sharon freeze and dr bridget turner kelly <laughs> welcome ladies thank you.
4: Thank, you.
2: thank you so sharon and bridget are here um I don't know. This is not something that we have ever highlighted on the show, but October twenty seventh is is recognized nationally as National Mentoring Day. It is the day where we acknowledge um, mentoring as a, a tool and best practice, um, and also we acknowledge those individuals in our lives who serve as uh, mentors, people who teach and. And instruct and advocate and comfort and care for us um, throughout our various personal and professional lives and trajectories. And so I am doubly blessed to not only have found mentorship in Sharon and Bridget, but they are also women who have published quite extensively on mentoring and their their journeys as, um, mentors of one another and of other students, um, that they work with and serve. And so we are very honored to, to welcome you all to the kitchen table and just sort of mm-hmm. uh, have some, some conversation about um, mentoring the role that it has played in your, in your, in your lives, um, how it's a part of your personal and professional practice, some things that you've learned through it, um, and that kind of thing. We're also going to get to know who you are as individuals, but these are my favorites, guys, so I'm a little geeked. <laughs> To share yes. um, because I love these women very very much. So just in the way of introductions, I could go on and on and on, but I will allow them to introduce themselves. I'll ask Bridget to kick us off with an introduction, and then ask Sharon to follow up. So, Bridget.
7: Well, thank you. What a treat! Um, anytime I can be in the company of beautiful black women, I'm very excited. I know that's right, uh, especially uh, living out here in Portland, Oregon. So I am Bridget Turner Kelly. Go by she/her pronouns. Um, I've been a faculty member um, for over 20 years and now um, have the pleasure of working with um, Sharon fries and other beautiful Black women at the University of Maryland, um, associate professor in the higher education, student affairs, and international education policy program, also um, diversity officer for the College of Ed and graduate program director there. Um, And I think um, really just really blessed to be learning with, um, so many talented, um, black women, people that have peer mentored me. And, um, we'll talk, we talk about in our book, people who are in a different rank than me, full professors. Um, and so that has been something that you, you know, I missed for probably 15 years of my career. And now mm-hmm. I've been at Maryland back for five years and just forgot <laughs> how good it could be. So, mm-hmm. that's a little bit about what I'll say. Awesome right.
12: So let me just um my heart is full. It's always full anytime I'm in the space with um just uh women friends like this. It's just so powerful. So um, you know, Dr. Robinson I, 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 We've been saying that for a number of years now I'm just so proud of you and the work you've been doing in this space And same thing with Dr. Jade, I'm going to give her that That's <laughs> it
4: oh, <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: She's going to be Insufferable <laughs> now, please, we're not going to be able
5: yes, to deal with okay. her More okay. mercy, you yeah. Disgusting, There's honestly lot, Lots
12: of days to have that title It's, you it's our degree, sis we were...
2: Say it again Me and Jade often joke Because Jade, I never shared this with you But Jade and I talked on facetime every day i was writing my dissertation She
12: earned that degree and so
2: and so we often joke that my phd is our degree because she she was you never told me that she was very much there for me i was at the the
5: defense i didn't know what was going on (laughs) but i was
12: there in the back (laughs) it felt like a hundred people at that defense i know there was was a lot of people my my, my tribe showed up for me the sure. tribe show up at the defense, <laughs> which is wonderful. But as as you know, as Dr. Robinson said, um professor at University of Maryland, it has I've been at the university, I think I'm 37 years now, started my that's career in okay. administration, been in faculty life for 26, 27 years. And it um, have lots of ways in which I identify my life beyond the academy. Actually, that's probably central to how I think about mentoring, is I don't think of the academy as my anchor, my only anchor. It's a part of where I feel like I do my my work and my purpose in life. And so I feel very honored to um, really be invited in spaces like this with colleagues who were formerly once, quote, a student. And I always say to them, you're only in this role because it's a role. Same thing with like, you know, Bridget Turner, Kelly and I, Dr. Kelly and I are, have been in um, community with each other for two decades or longer. And so, you know, in every situation, what I say is we are each other's connection to this work. And so I feel very blessed to um, while they acknowledge me as a mentor I acknowledge that it is really bi-directional so I feel like I get so blessed so I'm excited to be here looking forward to just sharing some of our humble thoughts with you all and thank you so much for the invitation I feel like we are getting grown because to be getting grown space is a good deal right I know I know I've been on I've been live with y'all prior to COVID and I am impressed with people coming from all around the country to this getting grown space so deeply honored to be here
5: Oh, Dr. Sharon, may I, if I may start off quickly before I pass this on to Kia, I'd love to know um, to both Bridget and Sharon, your a little bit of your background and what brought you into the work
12: uh, that
5: you do. Like what what led you in that direction?
12: So I'll start. I actually I always say to my class, I never thought I was going to be a faculty member. I was not intending to be a professor. I was an uh, administrator. So I came into the academy in ways that are pretty um, typical in the sense that I found it through my practice as as an undergraduate leader. I've worked with all these administrators and wanted to know how do you become one of those. So got a master's degree, started working in college, university settings. And long story short, I literally, once I started doing my doctoral work, I was actually one of my mentors at the time who was my dissertation advisor, Jewish white male, who actually said to me, you're a good writer, you're a good thinker, you ought to consider the academy. And I was like, no way, I'm just trying to get through this process. But then I had a few other people suggest that. And that's how I uh, indirectly, as I was studying high achieving black students and very passionate about that and very passionate about re the image of black academic capital in the academy, because when I was coming through, it was much more, it was very much a deficit mentality of who we are and how we show up. And I became very committed. And of course, I'll honestly say in this, I prayed on the invitation to go in this drought. I actually spent a lot of quality time asking, is this the right turn for me? And I can certainly say 20-something years later, it was clear this was part of the journey I was supposed to be on.
5: I love it. It is obviously very clear. I've been in spaces with you multiple times, and you're not only such a beautiful, brilliant black woman—you're a beautiful speaker, and your mm-hmm. spirit is so gentle Thank in the you. way that you speak as well. So, I agree. I think this is where you were supposed to be, <laughs> uh,
7: Bridget. What about you? What led you into this work? Um, well, mostly Sharon. Um, hmm. I <laughs> period. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I always tell people tell people that I was kind of a lifelong educator um, in education, meaning like I've been in school since I was was three years old and I just never left Mm -hmm. and I loved it and I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, with my undergraduate major and so then I went and thought I wanted to do politics and so came to Maryland because it's proximity to DC Mm -hmm. because I was doing some political stuff when I was an undergrad uh, working with the my state senator In Tennessee, and then got my master's in a year and a half, went through really quickly and still didn't know what I wanted to do. (laughs) So I thought, uh, well, I'll just continue going to school um, because I have no idea what kind of job I could possibly get and got ended up getting a fellowship to continue on at Maryland um, for my master's and do my Ph.D., Mm-hmm. And I believe it was the semester I started my PhD, I didn't really know what I was going to take, but I took a um, said seminar in higher ed and I was like, that sounds cool. So <laughs> I went in and uh, <laughs> that's where I met Sharon as a professor in front of the room. And um, as I was sharing with somebody who was my first African American, um, still to this day, professor. Um, mm-hmm. and it just light bulb hit hit off like in a cartoon where you're like, oh, <laughs> like hitting over the head, like this mm-hmm. is what I can possibly mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, and as somebody who I uh, really loved, uh, Tandy Sule um, in Oakland mm-hmm. said, you know, well, at least she was a good first African-American <laughs> professor that you had maybe, um, because maybe, like the gentle okay. spirit, the humbleness, um, the steadfastness, the, per, you know, persistent work ethic. Um, and then as she shared the family, um, and so it was like a complete package of which I just decided to model like, Cause I wanted to have a family, I have two kids now and a partner. Um, and it was a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. I'm home with my daughter. Now it's a lifestyle that, um, I feel like I can balance multiple things and be present. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just love pouring what I've learned, what I continue to learn from Sharon and other people into students. It's still my favorite thing to do is mm-hmm. to kind of work with them, talk to, talk with them and help them. They help me. Um, it's a way to stay young, I think, because they, they always get younger and you're getting older. Um, but I um, so that's how I came into higher ed. And I also have a family of higher ed. So I come from. A father who was administrator in graduate school and then was a college president and a mother who was a clinical social worker, but did that um, most Mm -hmm. of her practice on college campuses um, with students. And so the college uh, university environments, it's one of comfort um, Mm -hmm. and even more so, as I said, to be with all of these um, women of color that I get to work with now at Maryland. I love so that awesome.
2: Your story always yes. your. I've heard your your story several times now, Bridget What always resonates with me Is that I too have been in that place Where I didn't know what I wanted to do But I knew that I was good at school And so I just kept mm-hmm. going And it makes me think, as an aside, Jay Remember last week Last week we had a listener uh, write in um, mm-hmm. And was talking about how you know, she was in a phase of her life where she didn't have anything figured out and she was asking mm-hmm. us what to do. And we were yeah. pretty clear in saying that, you know, there that sort of unclarity or lack of I don't wanna say lack of direction, but there are often many times in your adult life where you're not really sure what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, most of it, right? Most of it, <laughs> is in my experience. <laughs> but you know, just you just it's just about sort of being where you are and being committed to seeing it through and even being okay right. with not having a final, a yes. final answer. Yes. And um, I too came. Uh, so I came to Maryland to work with Dr. Friesbury and just before we started recording, was talking about how you know being in school all my life. I still got to graduate school And felt unwelcome Unseen Mm -hmm. um, And unqualified For for Mm -hmm. a lot of of My experience And like um, You Bridget I didn't have Any African American women professors That I could look to And so I, I sought out Graduate programs because I wanted To work with someone who could Show me not only how to be and, and teach me sort of the skills and competencies of this space, but who could model for me how to be a black woman in this space? Mm-hmm. And I found that in um, in you, Sharon. And one of the things that, from the very beginning of our relationship, um, I, I treasured, was I, I instantly felt um, sort of, that I could trust you and um with myself like you know to be my full self I did not have to shape shift or code switch or any of those other things that we often find ourselves uh having to do to feel like a sense of belonging in the space. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could speak to sort of your um was that something that you Always like Tell me a little bit about how your approach To students and Is that something that you have have Known from the beginning that you wanted To sort of be this is this something that just Comes naturally to you are there Because we get asked a lot of times How do you find your mentor how do you Find your person um, But just wanted if you could speak to as someone who sort of sat in that seat What are the things that you would advise, um, you know, someone who may be like me or like Bridget feeling lost and, and not sure whether they belong and what they should do?
12: Wow. So, um, you know, I was actually thinking about all the stories I could tell about you, but I guess we don't have time. No, we don't. We We have time. You're welcome to. (laughs) (laughs) I I went into this fully believing
2: that I would be embarrassed, but it's fine. Well,
12: I have some really good ones, and not the least of which is actually related to being here on this podcast, because I remember distinctly she's very multi-talented. And I'm going to answer your question by answering it through example, if I can. So my approach to people, human beings, is that we, we have titles and roles that are many of the, many different things that we might do. I kind of, I kind of basically see any and every person we interact with is a fully capable person. They may not have the same experiences, they may not have had them in the same order or at the same time. But when I'm advising or working with students, I see it as a gift and an opportunity to learn from this person and vice versa. Right, and that. I also, and Bridget will tell you this, I'm really clear, especially when I was starting my faculty career, I actually didn't, I, I tried to convince her not to have me as her mentor because I felt ill-equipped. I was switching mm-hmm. my career. I kept saying, you don't want me. I want you to be successful. And the more I was telling her she didn't want me, the more she wanted me. And so by the time I got to you, to Kia because Bridget and I had to trust each other. Like I told her, I've never done this, so I'm going to be mm-hmm. learning and you've got, it's a risk to take me. And I was trying to convince her of some other women in the department. They were not black women, but women who were full professors, who mm-hmm. knew the academy. But um, what I knew is I would be honest with her and we'd figure it out. So we that's the kind of journey we had. So by the time you came to me, I felt more competent in being able to help. But what I saw in you was the need for, like I'm, I'm a person who, I'm not might not tell you everything right up front about things because you were stunningly I have to say this now because I can say this now that you're done I was struck by her just her essence like um Dr. Robinson shows it again no No. she shows up very so she shows up in my house like this stunning woman and you know the first thing you don't want to say is you're beautiful I don't want her to think oh why is she looking at you know but she's just stunning right so I didn't tell her for three years I had to make sure she didn't think that's what i was focusing on but i would stare at her like there's not a flaw on her i'd be looking at her trying to figure out the fo- like physically no <laughs> pores no oh, cheekbones <laughs> neck is elongated shut- she's oh, tall this- it's crazy i'm just going to call it what it is has but what though really was coming out of her was clearly talent and ability but it was she was always protective over it and so my style when to answer question is to just try to understand who people are trying to be and give them that space. Like I don't see my job as trying to, yes, I got to help people figure out the Academy to the extent that what whatever that looks like, but to not, but to try to honor what people are trying to do in their life, everybody to, just to try to honor it and be in a space to hold space for it. And I don't, I'm not saying I do it perfectly and right for everybody in the same way. But um, in your case, as you know, we immediately bonded because I knew you weren't telling me all of your fears. And so we went upstairs in my house and I, you know, because I was on sabbatical and I and I kind of just embraced you and and took a risk and said, listen, I don't know you well yet, but I assure you, I'm, I, my only goal will be for you to be successful. And, um, you know, Takiyah sits on her talent. She said on her talents like this podcast is an example, like it was years into us talking and I could tell she wanted to tell me something she was doing. <laughs> When she finally like um, she's like, well, I kind of do some other thing on the side. I had to like tease it out of her when she told me this. I was like floored. I wanted to know. I'm like, wow, you're amazing. But I think she was fearful that I would take her work in this community as a indication that she wasn't a serious academic. And I don't believe that's the case. I think our talent, the academy can't hold a space for everything we are. And I understand that as a black woman that we get put in these boxes. And so um, I try to approach it that way in terms of how I mentor and how I think about students, even today, the students, people are still coming wounded, still coming carefully, very cautious, um, you know, still trying to figure out how they can navigate it. And it's more difficult sometimes now, but I still try to keep that in mind. And then I send them to you all, as you know, I go, you need to call Dr. Robinson. Like I'll call Dr. Bridget Turner Kelly. I just send them out. I now feel like I don't have to do that work at all alone for sure. And I just send them to the network and they, you all pour love into them in ways because I hear it back because they say, wow, I met and and you all are their icons that they, they'll see you all out in the field and go, oh, my God, you're connected to Dr. Richard Kelly. You're connected to Dr. Tukia Robinson, Dr. Jones. It They'll name all these people. And I feel like that's the community that we have that undergirds them. And so you all, to me, do the work for me easier now because I've got a community of folks to send to mentor and share that expertise with.
5: That's such a, um, some of the things you said are so beautiful and so poignant as it pertains to mentorship across the board, because you have a, a, a mentality, it seems, where you're able to evolve with what's happening. Yeah. Whereas I feel like a lot of leaders in many different fields, that's what that's what gets stuck. I, when I was in culinary school, they asked one of the biggest critiques when we were leaving um, over the program, and I said... You know, I think a lot of these chefs are really talented and they're great teachers. But one thing I find flawed in the program is that you all cater it to one way of cooking, being in a restaurant environment. And that is it. And I didn't come here for that. I was like, I came here for other things. And so I feel like you can be more malleable and understanding that people have little branches that they're gonna yes. take from this foundation. Yes. And so yes. I find that, I, I love that. I love that you I have I love what that. you just said. Yeah. That was brilliant. I'm
12: sorry, that's brilliant. Wow, we need to put that in an article. We I do. like that, that's the exact same thing. I told Kia I'm sneaking into her suitcase and I'm coming to the Ash Conference. Yay! <laughs> I want you to know. You
4: are no, welcome, you are welcome, Dr. Wow. J.
2: I love
5: thank
4: you, it's, thank you. We're so
2: guarded, and I th- I love the flexibility of of mentorship. There's no one way. There's no one approach. And <laughs> and Bridget, I would love if you could speak a little bit to sort of um, the definition of mentoring, because I think as Jay was saying, we've all sort of been socialized in this. Um this depiction of education that is about making many me's, right? There's only one way to be successful. There's only one way to be in a certain space. But what, um, I would love if you could speak to, through your work, what have you sort of seen about how the definition of mentoring has evolved to acknowledge all of the nuance and complexity that comes with the ways that we occupy these spaces?
7: Yes, Mm -hmm. thank you. Um, I was thinking a lot of things while you all were talking, of course. Um, And one of them, I think, is the student affairs background uh, that Sharon and I both come from. I I come at it from my parents and my partner. I've never been a student affairs practitioner, but I've just loved and been loved deeply by people who are in that field and thinking about care for the whole person thinking about understanding the whole person those that kind of language really speaks to us i think and so when we see somebody we think about the whole person not just this academic or this intellect and i think because neither one of us um we we think there's already a sharon there's already a bridget there doesn't need to be 15 bridget's 15 sharons we're already taken but there's only one Takia, there's only one Jade. And so I, I feel like one of my purposes in life is to help people see the light that's already inside mm-hmm. of them. And so helping people uncover that for me has been something that, that's why that one-on-one time with students is something that I really um, appreciate. But I think it comes from a sense of seeing people um, as whole people <laughs> and seeing people as already talented, as already gifted, um, and I think both of us have seen a lot of students. Both of us, I think, um, are drawn to marginalized students. And so we see a lot of people who like you, like me. I mean, the reason I, I've, I kept telling Sharon, no, I want to be with you is because I had been so beat down and wounded mm-hmm. by former advisors during my master's program or during my undergraduate that I knew, no, I can figure out higher ed. I've been in higher ed my whole life. I understand, you know, I, I need somebody that I can believe in that I think believes in me. Um, And the rest, you know, I can figure out. So definition of mentor, I think where where we come into this, I think we try to, in higher ed, we don't consider ourselves like a discipline, right? So we try to draw on medicine and law and sociology and all these other fields. And in those fields, I think you have like this apprentice model, maybe even as a chef, as Jade was talking, where Mm -hmm. you're just going to kind of follow exactly, you know, especially of cooking, like, this is a yes, French technique exactly. of cooking, and you have to follow exactly mm-hmm. yes. what that technique is, um, not just feel your way right through the, right. Through the kitchen. the wrong if it's not through this way? Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to hold your knife a certain way, and you have addressed a certain way. And I think we pick that up from medicine. We pick that up from other fields, which does not work. In higher ed, mm-hmm. because students mm-hmm. don't come to us, you know, as these like soldiers and people that we have to get in line and and follow us. And neither one of us, I think, have a really big ego. Um, and so we don't need people to um, laud us or applaud us or to have all of their um, worth tied up in what we did for them. Um, that's not something that either one of us is, is, it's not important to us. And so when you let go of that and, and you just want other people to shine because that's who they, for both of us, God given creation, who, what they're supposed to do that it, it frees up a lot and it doesn't put a lot of pressure on you because right. you're not trying to get them to be like you. And then you can show your imperfections. You can show, your questions, your flaws. I always try to find something with everybody that um, I'm mentored by or that I mentor um, that I can get from them in terms of, I don't want them to just see me as a, as a source and they don't, you know, so I'm like, okay, this wonderful student we have, I'm like, can you help me with this technology? You seem to know this sense very well or, you've worked with undocumented students. I never have. Could you show me that? And so I always try to put myself in the learner um, role with my students. And so it's not, you know, as Sharon said, one way. But I think for me, what mentorship ultimately means is being in a community and a journey of support with people. And, you know, we've done this model throughout the, the book that we talked about where it's not just one person. It's mm-hmm. not just you know again bidirectional. It's it's being in a community, and communities have different needs at different times and different situations, mm-hmm. and so it's finding other people who can be in your your tribe with you.
2: Oh, how
5: safe!
12: You know, what a I safe say
2: thing! To
12: no, please, oh, please, I was just going to say that you know the academy is very proprietary. Like you know, it's my research, it's my students, it's my and I don't think Bridget and I like you. I think that's what I hear what you're sharing, Bridget is we understood that nobody belongs to it's like it's it's all a part of our full community and so it doesn't have to come to either one of us in any particular way but what is important to you like pouring out and i think when you let go like that Mm -hmm. it actually ultimately comes back to you in ways that you uh, Mm -hmm. that you don't expect anyway you know but you have Mm -hmm. to let it go in order for people to go do what they want to do
2: that's so real and so and so in terms of Letting go both in terms of being willing to and open to share, but also letting go and sort of being vulnerable and being willing to be seen. Because I will say um, I did come to Dr. Friesworth's house as a as a first year doc student scared to death. And I think. Um, She was very generous in her description of our conversation, but I was at her house (laughs) and, you know, everyone, we were all sort of grouped and the group was together downstairs in the basement, Dr. Friesman said, can I come, can I speak to you upstairs? And I said, okay, no problem, let's go. (laughs) And I went upstairs and she closed the door and she said, Well, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I kind of
12: said, something, so I'm she picking said, up something. I was like, something wasn't. Just what is she, the problem? Like, and I mean I had to be to honest
2: with myself, right? Because I was guarded. I came in with my armor on mm. because she I had really been in um <clears throat> Graduate school settings Where I felt like I, I didn't feel safe enough To just be Takiya And say hey I don't know what I'm doing And I'm scared to death I had to be Tough I had to be Stoic and resolute And clear and I had to be I had to perform in a way that Made people feel like I was i was Supposed mm. to be there when on The inside I had no Idea what I was walking Into who these people were What this was going to be like And so I Was having all Kinds of panic on the Inside mm. and um, You saw Through that if you saw that I was so worried about performing in this space that I couldn't you know, even. Miles,
12: perfect. Miles. Yes, I had.
2: Listen, this was when I had my doobie. OK, I had my, my oh, hair yes. was down with my oh, on the side. I had a blazer fresh and a pearls, OK, and was, I was being so I had to be so what I thought it meant to be a doctoral student. Right. That right. I was not even taking in the experience in any way. And I think you saw that immediately and was like, well, what is your problem? Like what's mm. wrong with you?
5: And, and she didn't. Want, you, you didn't want them to know your friends were ghetto, <laughs> and that you were ghetto, and that I was ghetto, <laughs> right?
2: And that and that I, was, I was ghetto. But like seriously, um, I think I don't know if you remember what happened when you asked me. Do you remember what happened when you asked me what's wrong with me?
12: Well, I remember there was emotion. I there burst was, into tears. I burst <laughs> tears. Like that's when I what? told you. That's when I asked you, could I hold you? Yeah, because I. We were, and I said, do you mind, I was and shaking. I just kind of spontaneously held her, we were upstairs in my office, and I had an emotional and I, breakdown, and we we had an emotional break, and I said, it's okay, and it's okay, and she talked a little bit about the wounding, but you know what, I, let me say this, and I don't know if um, Dr. BTK feels this, that's Bridget, y'all, in the audience, um, <laughs> but I think part of our ability to give out what we give is we understand that wounding, mm-hmm. like we've also, I've been wounded in the mm-hmm. academy, mm-hmm. I've had to go through, I think I shared that with you, like I've been through, even as a faculty member, that's a another story of another mm-hmm. day. But we can, most black women have had to navigate so many spaces where we weren't always, um, th- th- we had to, th- it's not just to only proven ourselves. We weren't, ex- we always have to swim against a tide in some way. And so I think if we, and some of us take that and want to ha- have other people have to kind of go through what we went through. So, um, mm-hmm. and that's just not our philosophy. Our philosophy is we don't need to keep having to spend our energy with these, uh, even though we're going to have them. I still to this day have to continue to deal with certain aspects of the wounding in the academy, which is partly why I could see it. And so you took the risk of letting it down. And we held um, each other and I was on sabbatical. I said, listen, just trust if you come to Maryland. And I remember saying to you, I assure you, my only job will be for you to be successful and get through. And I didn't even know, I knew your record, but um, I could see that you were, and, and I felt like it started to at least in that moment, you still had a little bit of armor yes, up. there. the then ice started good.
2: to melt a, had, little yeah. bit. a little a bit. bit. It, took, yeah. it took some time we to some because time. I like didn't just, believe it, you know? You know, I, no, have, no. I have been, the, 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 we've been burned before, you know? And right. so I wanted I to, to trust it. Remember I told yes. your mom, I told your
12: mom when I met her mother, I said, oh Lord, your child because <laughs> your mother <laughs> What it took <laughs> to get through to your child Was three years <laughs> Because
2: all of that, those wounds, that trauma That yeah. trauma, yeah. I see you nodding yeah. your head Bridget Because you know Oh my gosh, it's deep yeah. It's deep, that trauma is deep And you don't feel safe And and it's yeah. so much riding on the decision Right? Yeah. I right. left everything I knew I had never lived anywhere else other than New York I left mm-hmm. everything I knew To be in a place where I didn't know anybody and right. I had never yeah. been that far away from my family or anything like that, and so I was literally here by myself yeah. and um, scared to death. And it, it took yeah. a long time for me to to get to get close enough to people to to be in that space. Yeah. And I think that this model, I think we can we call it a model now. This approach to mentoring that is so uh, you know antithetical to that that <laughs> conventional way of thinking about mm-hmm. it. I love so. There's like a a now a seminal text, right? We can call it seminal because in 2005, you all wrote uh, "We Retain Each Other," was an article published in 2005, so close to 22 years ago. You all wrote a piece about your journey um, in in sort of co mentoring, peer peer mentoring. I don't know if we can Mm -hmm. call it peer mentoring, but Mm -hmm. yes. Well, we'll have you talk explain it, but I would love for you to talk about a little bit more about the inspiration. Behind the two of you finding each other, and writing through that experience, and how we started to come to this model of of um, mentoring that that resulted in the book that we'll talk about in a little minute.
7: <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because um, uh, so funny because when I was when I when I met Sharon, um, you know, I I'm a big believer in things don't happen by accident, and so. It just so happens that that was her first year teaching. You know, That was my first African-American mm-hmm. faculty member where I decided I, I wanna go on and get my doctorate and be a faculty member. I wanna be that person in the room for someone else because it was so powerful for me. I thought, wow, what if, it's, what if I could do that for somebody? Um, and it was her first year teaching as an assistant professor and she was like, um, I just don't know if, I, if I'm in this faculty role, will I be able to help people in the same way? And at the time, it was like, "Well, you're helping me," <laughs> you know. and Now I'm able to be, you know, a faculty member. And what I what I love now in my seat is now, you know, since 1996, I believe, when we met, um, when I met Sharon. Fast forward all these years, now I get to see you and Felicia and all, yep. all of these oh, women yes, and I, Felicia, yes, That's Felicia. Commodore, <laughs> Commodore, <laughs> um, who's been holding it down with the podcast yes, for she Ash. Has. Um, with Royale, So now I get to look back and just that's why I just get so excited for Sharon to see. You see, I was right in 1996 mm-hmm. when I told you, if you become a faculty member, you can still help people. It's not it's not elitist. You're not just only looking at these folks because they're going to help people and they're going to help people and and so on and so forth. Um so this this article, how it came to us was we were unicorns. We you know we kind of looked around and was like, um, not only is she my first, but she she didn't have any colleagues of color at Maryland, uh, black women at Maryland in, in our area in our program. Um, she still still doesn't right. She's in the higher ed right. She's program at <laughs> Maryland. Still, she's the only black woman faculty member in that in that program, in that concentration. So um, we decided. Years later, after she got tenure and became an associate and I um, graduated, thankfully, thanks mostly to her and um, helping me navigate some political stuff and became an assistant professor, that there was a story to tell there, you know, that that was a at the time a 15 year story to tell in terms of how we had both kind of gotten to this next level and helped each other. Um, In that process. And we talked about using a lot of bell hooks work, um, which is just so, Mm -hmm. so sad that we lost her. Um, Mm -hmm. But thank God she's written what over hundreds and hundreds of things that we can all read and go back to and listen to. Um, So we used her framework about, you know, instead of instead of like Audre Lorde looking for the master or someone else to follow, why don't we just try to rely on each other and support each other? And so um, that's how that initial article came about. And then I can, Sharon can kind of say how she thinks it came about and also the book.
12: Yeah, no, I totally agree with what you're saying. What I would add is it was cathartic for me. I was angry when we were working on that for the Academy. Like, I don't know if you remember this, Bridget, but I felt like I needed to, um, I had gone through a lot of issues to to get through the tenure process. And I'm by nature, not afraid to battle. Um, And I'm not threatened by losing a job. I felt like I I can go get another job. I'm not going to I need to be authentically who I am. But it was a lot of scars and a lot of wounds um, that I had incurred through the process. And I just felt like I needed to, um, when Bridget and I were tracking what we had been doing, like retaining each other was our message of, no, y'all didn't help us get here. We helped ourselves get here. Let's be real clear, Mm -hmm. because we did not get these promotions and this by support of the system, that was just the truth. And back then, it was far worse. I would say it's much better now, but that's because there are a lot more people, basically of color, who are helping to sort of fight against some of the inequities. And over the years, finding out just how much we were being requested to navigate in uh, spaces with no light. And so mm-hmm. I was really angry. It's sort of cathartic for me to kind of just get it out of my system and to just um, express some of that. And so I did a little bit of. I remember when we first published it, my former advisor who I just um, he was very good. Dr. Dick um, Dick Chate, Richard Chate, uh, he had left Maryland to go teach at Harvard before he retired out. And some people at Harvard got a hold of the article. People were reading the article. And he said, wow, we did a lot of truth. T-. That was pretty transparent because I told the truth about how I came in online. I was like, I ain't got nothing to lose. i gonna tell you all the, the dirt because I just I didn't know, care. He right. was like, wow, that was real transparent. I said, what, what's the difference? I mean, I had to navigate. We had to survive it. Um, but I think that's what has made that piece, um, resonate with folks, even though it was just, we're our story. It wasn't just our story. It was actually something that I think a lot of people could relate to. And one of our colleagues who's now full professor in the field, he was doing his PhD at Harvard and he said, you know, when he read it, he and his advisor wanted to write something similar, um, as two black men, but they, and I think they may have gone on and done that a little bit later, but anyway, so that was the other piece I would add to what Bridget said. And so fast forward, um, when Bridget came back to Maryland, which was like incredible joy, and is at Maryland now, yeah. even though she's um, in Oregon, it was amazing for me that we've come full circle back. And so um, at Ash in 2018, and then upon the invitation of speaking of the loop of mentoring, it was actually Takia who actually, and this is the part that is just so amazing because she invited us to be on a panel with Dr. Commodore and some others, mm-hmm. multi generational panel. So it's really, neat, Takia, your invitation back to us at ASH in what, 2018? Yeah, and just before And asked Bridget the and I to yep. join you all on this this um, whole discussion that we, at the, that ASH conference, which, which was, of course, as you know, very emotional because we had a packed audience there to come and you could see what people were struggling with. So Bridget and I, when we said, you know, we need to do a follow-up and I was saying to Bridget, let's do a book, not just a article because it's, and then invite other people's stories and you know you all story in there other and to me that's the that's the beauty of this book like the 82 proposals we received for just what 12 chapters yeah. so the outpouring was amazing so that's what led to the follow up
2: so yes we uh, so it was colleagues Ooh. like Dr. Commodore and um, Kim Griffin you know tons yes. of women Lori Patton Davis all of all of the um, so many of us have have read and cited that text um, When we talk about the ways that we have Survived the academy By reaching out to one another uh-huh. um, We realized, you know, it was like, you know This conversation is not it's not over, right? And the ways that mentoring has evolved uh, Over time um, So we had a, a A session at Ash Is just bringing people together To talk about the ways In which they've used That model Reference that model And it really did Sort of bloom Into a very beautiful uh, Sort of Tapestry of stories Women Like you said 82 proposals But it was Even that room Was standing room only Filled with women Who have Read that work Felt seen and inspired by y'all's brave recounts Of the ways in which you leaned on each other Through uh, challenging times And so for us, it was like a no-brainer Because I don't know if y'all know And I talk about this all the time But like, Sharon is a legend uh, <laughs> In that there's so many So, so many people have come through her uh her mentorship, her advice, her her advisement, and have gone on to do great things. There's so many of us who would not be who we are without having the opportunity to to learn. You know, I think about myself. I was scared to death. You the first person who told me that it was okay, (laughs) Like and I was where I was supposed to be. And how many other people, Bridget? Was sharing how she she had no idea if she was supposed to be, but you have been a possibility model for so many of us. So this is just one, to me, super small way that we were able to just make sure that there is a record of all of the <laughs> great work that you have that that you have done. Um, and so it is just my honor to continue to, and I'm going to do it for as long as I can to to continue to give you your flowers. And to make sure that you get that, listen, there will always be there will always be space and and we will never not do it. But I want to um, you could talk a little bit more about the book, um, all the different ways in which you've built upon your discussion of, of mentorship and some of some of the new insights and new lessons that we've learned since since the original piece came out.
12: So I'm gonna turn to Dr. Bridget Turner Kelly, who's the lead author on this project. <laughs> oh <my laughs> hey. Actually, centers in more ways than mine have around some of the building of mentorship stuff. So, so I'm I'm being mentored well, by it's just her. So
7: it's just so uh, yeah. When you were saying, you know, you it's cathartic because I feel like you know every day somebody tries to kill us, every day, and we survive. Mm. And we didn't want the academy to be a place where it continues to murder. Black women. And it's not, and again, for me, I'll just speak for myself to be able to have a partner, to be able to have two kids, to be able yes. to still care for my aging parents, to be able to be there for my sisters, my friends, to be able to have a, a job that pays me to think and be creative. Um, I didn't want to shut that off for other people. So if there's a way that I could help open the door, um, I don't believe, you know, like I'm living in Portland, Oregon, it's beautiful out here, it's fresh mm-hmm. air. We should we should be out here, you know, we should be we should be out hiking and, and walking. There shouldn't be any space that's healthy that we that we shouldn't be a part of. Um, and so for the book, we um, kind of took a step back and thought about the, the not only the model that helped pertain to us as as two black faculty and different statuses, full professor, um, tenured in Sharon's case, associate professor, tenured in my case, and that was just one model. And it was a very, um, at the time, in-person. We get together quite frequently. Our families get together. It's a very in-person connected. And we were kind of like, wow, there's so many other ways to do this digitally, right? And Black women who type fast and all these different <laughs> ways that you can be in community. And so just the I'll just overview the four, um, the, the model. And so first is you know that possibility model that you talked about, um, Dr. Robinson, in terms of And me visually seeing Sharon as like a real possibility for a a career when I had no idea what I was going to do. And so that somebody who's in another rank from you that you can kind of see, well, how did you make this move? And then what did you do here? And how did you get there? So that's um, a type of mentor. And we really, again, believe in a community um, of mentor. And really, we use this kind of slinky model, whereas Mm -hmm. the slinky can only move once all the parts are together and move down. And so we're not leaving any women behind. We're not leaving any people behind who believe that they've been so beat down or so... told that they're not supposed to be here like I was or told that they shouldn't do the kind of work that they were supposed to do like I was told like you shouldn't do you know, this minority work, you shouldn't do this work um, around these marginalized populations, you definitely shouldn't do race Um, But that was the only thing that excited me. And so (laughs) you try to take the one thing that I'm here for and tell me that that's not something I should do. Um, So there's the status. Then there's the peer. I just have to shout out the president of ASH, Association for the Study of Higher Ed this year, Joy Joy Gales, um, who has been my peer mentor for um, almost around the same time, thanks to Sharon and I presenting at something and meeting her. Um, deciding we were going to support each other um, as two black women. So there's these peers and, you know, with Takiya with, you know, Felicia and mm-hmm. Jennifer, you know, and people that you're, you're in your cohort with that you feel like, OK, we're in this together. Yep. <laughs> we're in this class together. We're going to pull each other. No one's going to get left behind. So there's the peer. And then there's the um, inspirational. You know, I mentioned Bell, Bell Hooks, people that I, I did get to meet her once, but briefly at Maryland. But people that you don't even get to be friends with or get mentored by but you get to read their work. Mm-hmm. You get to sit in presentations. You get to listen to their podcasts and you get inspired. At least I did get inspired and felt like, wow, education can be freedom, <laughs> like mind blowing. And so there's a whole um, inspirational, our ancestors, the things that we don't even get in touch with sometimes that have poured into us that we get to rely on for our strength. Um, and then there's this community. Um, Mm -hmm. like the sisters who type fast and other people where you don't have to just be alone. You can walk into a space like I did at Maryland. Um, thanks to a black woman, Sharon Kirkland, who was there, who did a black women um, counseling session. It was kind of scary for me. I knew I needed help to keep up. I was, you know, in a de- depression and all kinds of things were going on relationships. And I didn't, I was kind of scary to be in a one-on-one, mm-hmm. but to be with a black woman who I trusted therapist who could invite other black women into a joint therapy group that I joined as a, as a doctoral student at Maryland. I just want to shout out to therapy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so that so that's the model. It's getting again, like I said, like I talked about defining mentorship as a community. And so having um, having this people in different statuses, having the peers, having the inspirational, but then also having a community of women. So that's what the book really highlights. I love that. You know, if you
12: go back to what Jade said earlier about being a chef in her field and how the training I so resonate. I want to go back to that because to me that's a connection of what we're talking about in this in this book that it's like being connected to a whole circle of women, they don't have to all be in higher ed, but the more you have um, learning from people in different contexts is important to surviving the space you find yourself in. It's transferable. So, you know, in our work, we're saying you don't um, have to be in the field to have, you should have these different circles of connection, which is why when I learned about what um, Dr. Robinson Robinson-Takia was doing with this whole podcast stuff, which was all new, it just totally excited me because that was giving her another community of support to make the Mm -hmm. academy doable. And so they weren't in conflict. They helped to support your energy and creativity and one of your many talents. So that's one of the reasons why this model is more comprehensive that way, as at least one sense of how we see black women um, building those communities of support, how we've built them and how we see other women doing them. And what I'm hoping that, depending on what happens with Bridget in our lives, we're hoping to actually do some testing out of that model. We have some, we've been sponsored in some research Um, to be able to apply some monies towards that. So that's one of the things I would like to see Mm -hmm. us be able to do is to test some of that out moving forward.
5: You both said some really, really powerful things, actually. Um, Bridget, early on, you mentioned very specifically, I caught it about uh, Sharon being a great black woman to learn from how, you know, because it can be different. (laughs) And, Uh, One thing that I've taken from you, Sharon, is that you're not only just gentle with the people that you're mentoring, but you're so gracious Um, and you're not afraid to give younger people flowers and you want to see them evolve. Whereas I find in many jobs that I've had and in many positions, unfortunately, even by the hands of black people, they've been terrible leaders because it can only be one as opposed right. to oh, one the flourish. No. <laughs> no. Right, right. Oh, no. and no, no, that's no. so powerful, right? And then you said you were angry for a period of time because of how you were treated. And so I, I find that to be so beautiful that you took that power and used it in the positive oh, direction yeah. to make sure yeah. that other people didn't feel like you as opposed to being a nightmare and a terrorist. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Cause uh, that
12: happened. No, Cause you it's could like, be. Right. <laughs> so. That's what can happen. And I, no, no, no question. That's what can happen. but. Um, Bridget will tell you, I get happier and happier yes. the more diverse our group gets. Like, I am just like, it, it, in fact, I was thinking I was going to be leaving around. I was like, well, I'm staying now. We got all these folks. I'm going to stay a little bit longer. No, that's like, right. I can't leave now because this is the heyday. Like, you know, we have a new, um, our colleague, Dr. Griffin is the dean of the yeah. college black woman. We have, oh, I'm yeah. like, okay, I need to hang out a little bit longer because <laughs> to me, I have never understood this. I'm the only one, like being the only black woman. And or, or just even conscientious people. We have a lot of conscientious folks in our college right now, mm-hmm. um, many of whom are black folks, but also other folks of color that we're just in an exciting different place. And I'm not going to just say Maryland, other places. So, I mean, I may go somewhere, um, you know, who knows what um, spiritually and what divine grace has in store for me. But Maryland right now, the more it's wet we have all these women of color, it's just my joy factor is. It's just percolating. I don't even have to. I sit back and say, "Oh, they' about to get you." Like a doctor BTK coming in, doctor. Like it's so many options, I just get to sit back and say, mm, "Y'all in trouble?" I just write a note <laughs> so,
2: because we so are all trained it. to go at this point. What's like? What was it? Oh, okay. Because that's right. what happens. Right. That's the beautiful thing about the community, and I love that. You know, we're moving from the, the title of the book is building mentorship networks to support Black women, and right. that is. I think that's that's. Uh, speak to you know it is going to take all of us right so we're not yeah. leaving the slinky model we're not leaving anyone behind no. and what I've always yeah. felt in community um with with you Sharon Bridget, and just all of all of the the huge network that you've built is that there's no competition, there's no sort of sense of mm-hmm. of uh you know we we're all we're not chasing one carrot right, but we recognize no. that. Are we? We can get all the carrots if we work together, um, right, and, right. and 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 there are things that you know. The, you know, Jade has strengths that I don't have, and and Bridget has strengths that I don't have. And when I I need someone with those skills, I know that I can pick up the phone and call that person in my network. And it's not about us fighting over anything. No, it's a village. Yeah. Uh, what I
5: hear is that you all have created a village. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's how it runs with. And with that's the way the power pick up and holds you down. That's where yeah. the power. We
2: have so much more power collectively when it comes, even when it comes to sort of mo- moving. Politically in spaces Networks as far as our Professional opportunities When yes. I'm looking for something If I need somebody for something You know these are the women that I call You know and, mm-hmm. I, and I think There's so much power in building that So I, I would love if you could Because there are so many of us Who feel like We have to sort of put all Our eggs in one basket Or we haven't found our tribe Yet Right. Um, and I would love if you can sort of speak to, you know, women who are in that space. Uh, what if I don't know who my people are yet? What do I do? What do I do? How do I find them?
12: Well, that's a great question. I think it's hard. I mean, I think for one thing is you got to be willing to take some risk and you got to be willing to give um, what you're willing to receive. And so sometimes I think people are like, I, I really, truly believe in not having expectations that you're going to give back, like just give, like it's okay to, so even, even as you all have gone off to do incredible things, I've had several former students out in the field. Y'all know y'all out rocking all kinds of things, reach out to me and say, Hey, we want you to apply for this. We'd like to, they want to reward me back. And I actually feel uncomfortable sometimes. Like, no, I don't want you to feel like you have to they're like, we're not feeling like we have to do that. We just think you would be good at this, whatever. And so I think what people ought to think about is, What can I give to support somebody and start building those connections genuinely? Not only, and it's okay to be thinking about how you can bring your skills together, but to also be okay about genuinely not having an expectation that something comes back to you. Just kind of how you can help somebody else. And um, Mm -hmm. if you're in a community, in a group where you all build that in, then that's okay. Be forthcoming about that. I have a lot of women in my life, as um, you know, I know uh, you all know this who were in an investment club with me, all black women, we did financial investing for 28 years and no one else was in higher ed. We were all in different fields and it was one of the most productive groups because again, we needed a chef though. <laughs> <laughs> we sorry, had to go to we, we might have worked <laughs> too well, like, gen-
2: Yes, the next iteration. But
12: I love that the women were in all kinds and that enhanced my ability to think differently. And so take a risk and go outside of your field. If you haven't found your tribe, don't locate your tribe as in a narrow way. How can you network with, uh, you know, how do you want to um, get that support in a community and just take some risks? And it's okay if it's a small group that builds over time. You know, I'm humbled. I genuinely am so humbled by, I do, I'm I'm not ignoring the community that I've helped to build. I see that because it would be, it would be uh, unfair to the way in which I've been poured into divinely. Like I am very aware that I've been given certain gifts and abilities to manage the academy the way I had to. So I see it, and I see it more the last few years, the legacy of it. But what I'm really touched by is what I get from it. And you said it, Kia because there's nothing I feel like I can't ask a question to my network. And that's men and women. There's a lot of brothers who are yes. connected to that. Very and true. people who are not black connected to that yes. network. That When I put a question out, I'm humbled by how fast I get a reaction. And mm. I think about, wow, this is amazing. These are brilliant minds that... Are more brilliant than you could ever think. They're, and they're just starting. They're just there. Some of them are just, you all are just starting in your career. You're not, so where you're going to go. I had Takiya running the federal government. Remember I told you you was yes. going to be running She told me that SF? many years ago. I, like, I told her that. Right? So you could going to be, She now way past NFL, uh, <laughs> NSF is not even on her <laughs> radar anymore. You know like, you're going to be running in the National Science Foundation for those of you don't And <laughs> another line. So I Courtney. would say to people, trust, you got to trust some folks and you have to be willing to um, give without feeling like you have to get something back. I genuinely think that's still important. Um, the Academy mm. sometimes is always transactional. Like, well, I did this for you and what are you going to do for me? And I don't think that's the best way to build a longer term. Um, now, I'm not saying pour it all out and give it all away and never expect anything back because some people will take from you. I've definitely mm. had some experiences around that, but just genuinely, how can you help somebody else? I don't know if that answered it. Yeah, and for sure.
7: Well, um, one thing stable. I wanted to say, and I was so touched by your story to Dr. Robinson is, and I didn't, I don't think it made the book, I tried to make a, a case for it um, with our <laughs> publishers. But I think the biggest mentor you can have is yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think you have to be ready and open. And so what I heard you say, just as an example is, you know, I came to Maryland, I didn't know anybody, I left my family, I'd never been out of New York. I was scared. I was um, told I wasn't supposed to be here. I was told I wasn't smart enough or good enough. Um, but guess what? You did it anyway. Right. You did that before That's you right. even, you know, uh, met yeah. with Dr. Sharon Freesberg. You made that journey to Maryland and you decided to apply for a PhD program and you looked out for yourself and tried to find uh, a black woman mentor or somebody who could be compassionate, somebody that you could trust. And, and I feel like I did the same thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I went to Sharon and asked her to be my advisor. I asked her if I could work with her on research. I kept working with her and, and Mm -hmm. have stayed in contact with her. And I think, that's often a piece that's that's missing i think for folks is they're waiting for people to come to them yeah and they're waiting for um somebody else to make them feel a certain way um because they've lost how that how to get in touch with their beauty and their gifts inside themselves and so that's why i was also highlighting therapy and, you know, I've done a lot of work over my over my life to counteract some of those tapes and messages and I continue to have to do that and I continue to pour into my daughter that this is daily work
6: mm-hmm. that I
7: have to do to, to, again, remind myself that some people are out here trying to kill me and I'm not going to let them um, mm-hmm. and I am better than that and I am worth, um, if I publish not a single other thing or teach not another class, I am worth... So much, and so that's those are the things that I I wanted to also put into the mentoring network is that you have to believe in yourself enough to even ask for a mentor, to believe that you are worthy of a tribe.
12: I love that. So glad you said that because I think that's what most of us don't give each other credit for—that we actually had to make a bunch of decisions to get through this work by ourselves
7: first. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh.
2: We have had such an awesome conversation. I have really enjoyed every ounce of this. Um, I know. I just want to keep going. I know. <laughs> I want to listen to you all talk more. <laughs> it's so it's so rich. I love I love that. Um, just as a closing note, um, one of the things I w- I have a question I want to sort of close out with. Uh, a friend of mine I've heard her say in many in many spaces is she's always felt that her. Um, The most impactful mentors That she has Are not women That she chose But those women Chose her Mm. And it was about How her Her sort of being Out in space Being herself um, The women who wanted To pour into her Or invest into her Um Mm. You know, chose to do that and then and then did that and that that's always resonated with me because I think there's a lot of power in in being yourself. I think a lot of times us as young people or even just when you are um, sort of starting out on a new path and you're in in, in that apprentice space, you sort of feel this pressure to find the person that's going to teach you how to do it. Um, But what has been my experience Is that when I, when I have the, the richest connections that I have Or when I have been When I feel safe enough to just be my total self In a space Without having to sort of perform And put on airs Like I deserve to work with someone Because of what I've accomplished um, Just wanted to sort of throw that out there And sort of see what your reactions were to that uh, And if that sort of lines up with your definition and model of, of mentoring, um, because that's something that that I always remember. It's not about finding a mentor. Sometimes it's about being yourself and 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 allowing the mentorship that you seek to find to find you.
7: Yeah, I agree absolutely, and that's what I was trying to say too. You said it beautifully around um, believing in yourself and and being your true authentic um, self, and then that allows other people to be their true authentic selves, which is how you can possibly hopefully find your tribe. Mm-hmm.
12: Yeah, I totally agree. I was thinking of two women. And then my I have to mention my mother, but she's not in this two first, but she's to me um it, is the deepest message of that. But before I go to her, let me just say Dr. Davidson, Marie Davidson, who was a senior administrator on campus, resonated with my fighting spirit. And when I was an administrator, she helped my Vice President, um, white male boss at the time, understand how lucky he was to have a black woman on his staff who would tell him the truth. And so Mm -hmm. she um, um, really uh, played a big role in really probably more than I realized, keeping a space because she worked for the president at a time of truth telling. Sharon's a truth teller. Let her be a truth teller. You're lucky. She's not just following. And then the other person I named my daughter after, Couture Carrie Harvey, when I was an undergrad at Maryland. She was a woman that I found by way of she was the mentor to one of the athletes on campus and I wouldn't date this athlete. And she wanted to meet who's the woman who kept saying no to this big fly. don't know that's right. So she after I turned him down a couple of times, she he came back to say, um, will you at least come meet my mentor? I was like, Who's your mentor? I don't know. So I reluctantly went down to meet this woman. And she said, I just had to meet the woman who turned down and she named the athlete at the time at Maryland. And I was like, and we became bonded. And um so I felt like she found me. But I want to end by saying I was raised by women who were generous spirits, who helped mm-hmm. so many people. I found that at my mother's home going service. And I know how I was talked to my mother was at my mother's feet all the time. We were very close. I still feel her spirit. She's um, passed on in 2008. I heard all these people talk about how my mother was there for them. I was like, how she had time? I was literally sitting at her home going, trying to figure out when she had time she to had do time all time to this. Because to everybody. Else. I know how much time <laughs> we were taking out. Right. And I was in awe of her capacity. Mm -hmm. I was in awe. It it could bring tears to my eyes now because I was raised by a woman who was so generous in how she gave to people time and genuine love. And I didn't feel like I missed a beat. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true for my daughter, who I know, knows she's loved and embraced. And so she kind of sees what I give out and she she sees the back back end of it. And she doesn't feel like she's lost anything. If anything, she gets the love them from all of you all because you all are extended family for sure. to her. And so I feel like yes, these, these women find you. Your tribe will find you. Um, and for me, it's starting with my mother who wanted me and who raised me in a way that was just so deeply meaningful. So I have to have to shout out my my mom, Mary E. Freeze, who's still in spirit with me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, Miss Mary. Yes, Miss
2: Mary. Yes. Shout out to the Marys. My grandma's name was Mary. She was the same I way. Know.
12: I know, yes. She's yes. the
2: same way. So we was a Mary.
12: So yep. we love this.
2: This is awesome. My huge takeaway is that mentoring is about generosity, it's more about giving than taking. And when you mm-hmm. give, yes. it comes back to you in the ways that you don't even know you need it. No. Thank you no. so much, Sharon Thank and Bridget. You. I can't tell so, you how so much, much this means to me To to invite you into this part of my work And my world And to have you validate and recognize it You're absolutely right In that I was hesitant to share Because I had been told That as an academic I needed to make Writing and publishing My priority but I have come to learn and understand and believe that there are many ways in which our Absolutely. work can be disseminated and shared. And you being here and you, uh, it's just another way of demonstrating that, that you believe in me. Um, so I can't tell you both how much it means to me to share this with you. And we will always have, you will always have an open seat at the kitchen table should you choose to come back and kick it with Jaden. Happy like dear,
12: happy to. Jade, we yes. want to do it in person with the meal. Yeah. <laughs>
5: oh, no. Listen, I'm happy. I'm When I come to D.C., I'm going to tell Key, I'm like, call up all the doctors. Coming. Coming. And tell cooking. them to come to the crib. Yes. I'm cooking. <laughs> We're going to have a Yeah.
2: A- in my newly so renovated kitchen. <laughs> In your newly I, I, renovated my,
5: kitchen.
2: I, love
12: it. I was trying to be cool, but I love you it. Oh, <laughs> yes.
2: We have you have to come by this week so I can show you the yes. new additions that we've been I making. I cannot
12: wait. I have something to bring by,
2: so I will make that happen. I can't I wait. Know, that's right. Love Hopefully you guys so wild. much. Thank you guys <laughs> for joining us. Woo! What a wonderful ride. Uh back in time. I love sharing space. Uh, and conversation and getting to share the brilliant scholarship um, of such amazing black women um, on this platform. One of my favorite aspects of this work. And one of the things that this show has taught me is that scholarship exists in all forms. And this is just a reminder to all of, you know, the members of Team Type and Fast out there who are in graduate school or are working in academic spaces or scholarly spaces. Don't let anybody confine you or limit the ways that you publish your brilliance, okay? Uh, We are afforded many opportunities, many mediums. Uh, many media opportunities are out there available to us to share our thinking, to to um, to share our narratives, our counter narratives, to counter the dominant narrative with our rich experiences and perspectives. So I'm excited that Getting Grown has given me that opportunity and I'm very grateful for this gumbo episode Um because, you know, sometimes it's good to go back and listen to how far we've come. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Again, thank y'all so much for tuning in to Jade and I week after week after week. And I can't wait to get back to the kitchen table uh, to reconnect with you guys um, really soon. Love you all. And remember, continue to moisturize your mind by attending to the business that is yours and yours alone. Make sure that you are moisturizing your uh, parts, all of your 2,000 parts and your largest organ, um, your skin, okay, um, by moisturizing your internal organs, your 2,000 parts, by drinking as much of the Lord's water as your body can sustain and finally you want to moisturize your largest organ, your skin, because your black will crack if it's dry and tired, as I clearly am but yes, let me get back to my break, And I'll see you guys after the break.
1: Love you much. Take good care. Bye, y'all.
3: This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.
8: The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories.